What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 63.1. And we're continuing our playthrough of Danganronpa V3, Killing Harmony. Uh, today I have with me Matt. Hello. And Jay. Rise and shine, Ursign. Yep. What is Ursign? Ursign uh, is another word for bear. Okay. It's bear-like. Gotcha. Yeah. Like bo bovine is cow-like. Mm -hmm. Ovine is sheep-like. Did not know that. Now you do. There's a uh, you know the pig, serpentine. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know the constellations, uh, Ursine is one of them. Yeah, Ursa Major. Mm-hmm. Ah, gotcha. So yeah, uh, the last thing we left off was I. I honestly wasn't very happy with the fact that the main character turned out to be a killer. Nah, that's true. But uh, something that I didn't mention before, uh, did both of you guys play Heavy Rain? Yes. Yes, a few yes, times. Uh, so we we can all agree that the, the twist of that particular game, where the... Okay, okay for us, uh, let's be fair. Spoiler alert, if you still haven't played Heavy Rain or, and do not want the, the big twist in that game to be spoiled, just uh, you can skip ahead about a minute. Yeah, go play it if you haven't. Also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just fun. I think a lot of people kind of undersell it because they're unhappy with how the ending goes and some of the aspects of it. But I enjoyed my time with it. Um, we covered it as I do with. Down. Uh, did you guys play Phoenix Down? We sure did. Uh, with oh, uh, okay. Mackie from uh, the Banff cast. He oh, joined us on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but for that particular case where he, the one of the characters that you control, ended up being the serial killer, right? Mm hmm. When I think about that and how little they gave to uh, they gave the player as far as uh, when they have agency of the character to really hint at the fact that this person was the criminal at hand, uh, they gave very little to none. And uh, when they do go back to the points where he does make those th times like like where he goes off screen for a second and then goes like murder some dude, they do it in such a way that's not satisfying at all when you uh, when you see it. But having played uh, the first chapter of the game. Uh, twice now, uh, I actually didn't like it the first time too much uh, because it felt I felt cheated as a character uh, as as a player because I liked the character first of all. I thought Kaede was great. Mm -hmm. I really liked her as the lead. Uh, I thought she was a strong uh, character, you know, because she wasn't you know being pushed around. She was clever, but you know, not she was kind of like a good middle ground to be the uh, the, the the representative of the character because she was smart enough to get and understand the things that the players would, but also not be too smart that he'd be like the Sherlock Holmes, you know, kind of a character. Uh, and when she was killed off, I was disappointed. But when I went back and I played the, through the chapter again, I saw even more clues and things that were leading up to why she did what she did and how she did it, and all the hints the game provided for you. I felt much better about it afterwards. Well, I don't know. I just, I just don't like that the angle of, you know, secretly tricking the player in that sort of way. That's just me, mm. though. How do you feel about this, Matt? Uh, I, I don't know. At first, you know, my my first impression was that it felt a little cheap. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I, I didn't, you know, that, that was a, a fleeting thought. I really didn't have much of a problem with it in the end. Because it, as soon as I thought that it was cheap, my next thought was, well, shit, that's why Shuichi's been around so much. 
You know, like, it, it's not like you have one main and you interact with everybody. It's really the pair of you doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much you know, so. And, you know, and all the other things. I, I, I don't know. I, not that I saw it coming, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I thought it was as interesting as it was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fair. Sure, because uh, you do feel cheated in some way because it's not even that. It's like if you look at all the promotional material, all the trailers and everything, she is made out to be the main character. We got basically Kojima, you know, it's it's Sala Snake and Raiden all over again. Uh, except, <laughs> you know, yeah, things are a little bit different, obviously, to the degree and everything, but um, we, we don't Thrones. get to play. Uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, sure, you know, with the, with the main character getting, you know, kind of off in the first season and all that jazz, so. Yeah. Pretty interesting stuff, but uh, moving past that, um, do you remember all the scenes that were kind of opening up in the chapter 2? Because they started dropping bombs right away. Uh, yeah, the first one being, and you get it, it seems like it's going to happen at the beginning of every chapter, yep. uh, basically something that happened previously mm-hmm. before they arrived at this academy. Um, and the first scene was of uh, them, or it wasn't them, it was um, a funeral for, uh, I think it was only like two or three people. Uh, well, there was a lot of pictures lined up. But the only picture that we could see in focus was Kaede's picture. Right. So, and then there's people in the background talking about, I can't believe this happened. Yeah, they they were they said they were running away from that group. Mm-hmm. And they said something about, man, you know, if not, if not for themselves, I wanted them to live for our sake. Which, uh, I don't know, what, what, what's your interpretation on that? Do you, do you, do you glean anything from that, uh, bit of a statement, or do you see that it's just, it's just like a throwaway comment? I still, you know, uh, I guess it, it would tie into my theory a little bit that I think that they're trying to make ultimates. They're trying to bring these people back. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll revisit our uh, theories at the end of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just uh, keep those. And just, like, like remember them so you can kind of say, like, well, this this actually helps my theory because you have the option of changing your theory. But like I said before, you're only allowed to have one theory at a time, but you're free to change them at the end of every episode. Right. Okay? So moving past that, uh, we also see Gonta looking around for bugs. Because, uh, you know, this is a huge area. There's there's grass, you know, they're kind of out in the open. But he can't find a single bug, right? And uh, he notices some words on the ground in a, in a small clearing by the grass. And it's written, and the only thing it says is horse A. And uh, that's basically all it says. Right. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, you, know, you know, you don't really know what that means or you know, he might have uh, written it. But uh, we'll come back to that later. But at this point, the basic, uh, you know, passing over the torch is complete. Shuichi now becomes the main character. He has taken his hat off, kind of as a way to symbolize that he has thrown away his old self. He is reluctant to look at the truth. Um, now he's kind of trying to look people in the eye, trying to uh, figure out what's going on so that he can carry on Taiyate's wish of, you know, bringing everyone out of here alive. Yeah, which uh, which I thought was pretty good. I, I when uh, when Kaede was uh, was killed off, I knew that Shuichi would eventually you know take off his hat, and then he would have that you know that little hair sticking out that is very uh, traditional of a main character for uh, Danganronpa, mm-hmm. the Ahoge, and uh, he has that obviously, and then uh, we go from there. Do you remember what happens next? Um, 
Not particularly. <laughs> it, it, dude, okay. it's been a week. It's been a full week. All right. So at this point, uh, the Monocubs and Monokuma come in and they say, well, you know, to reward you guys to getting the killing game started, right. we have some rewards for you. So yeah. they give them a, a few items to kind of explore uh, and unlock basically new areas of the campus. So they go around uh, and Shuichi is kind of in charge with, the, uh, with these items and they discovered the ultimate magician lab, the ultimate maze lab, the ultimate entomologist lab, the ultimate tennis pro lab, and the ultimate child giver's lab. So I, you I have, also like you, you can't you can't gloss over what the items were. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because by, they're by, by means. You know, it it's very much in line with this game's humor style to kind of mm-hmm. like drop references to other games, pop oh, culture, yeah. everything. So it's it's what a it's a dragon gem, an ocarina, uh-huh. a passport, and a hexagonal crank from some zombie game. Yeah, I, I, Matt. I don't I know if it. you ever played ever played a game with exceptional, you know, <laughs> a crank. Uh, I don't know. That seems uh, really foreign <laughs> to me. I still couldn't figure out what the passport was. Uh, I don't know either. Actually, I don't know that one. I though. didn't know what the reference was. Obviously, that's a yeah. Dragon Ball. That's from Resident Evil, and then the other is Ocarina from Ocarina uh, yeah. of Time. Uh, but I don't know what the passport is. An I bet it's some like Japanese game that we don't know or something like that. Probably. It's not overtly obvious that one. Uh, but yeah, I, do, I like a mess that I do appreciate the little um, the throwbacks and references to other games. Uh, and some that weird ones that I wouldn't have expected. At one point, they make a riff on "Make America Great Again." Mm-hmm. And well, that you also have to uh, believe that this was localized. So I'm sure that joke wasn't in Japan, Japanese, but right. it, I bet it was something political for Japan. So they localized uh, during the localization process. They decided to make something that's relevant to us as an audience, which is the smart way to do. Uh, localization because if you make everything uh, word for word, a lot of it wouldn't work, you know. Because yep. uh, you don't get the just, point of it, the gist. Of yeah, it. we don't we don't get the references, we don't get the point. So um, generally, I think they do a pretty good job of uh, keeping a lot of the characters' personalities intact and uh, making a lot of jokes that actually still hit home based on what we know as a pop culture. So uh, yeah, so we we uncover all these ultimate labs and uh, you know we get to explore all of them except for one. Maki's uh, ultimate child giver lab. She kind of stands in front of it, and then she won't let anyone enter. And she seems really insistent that nobody see her child uh, child giver lab, which um, I'm sure raised a lot of flags for everyone, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know what to think, though. I was thinking maybe there's somebody else in there, like she's taking care of a kid. I don't know. Yeah, like literally maybe there are children in there that she doesn't want uh want Shuichi and everyone else to see. I, I wasn't really thinking about what it could have been. But it was very obvious that she was hiding something uh of a very uh very kind of big revelation, like a something important. Right. I guess. Uh we also discover kind of uh this weird flashlight and they don't know what it is, so Angie kind of just takes it and just tries to figure out what it is. Uh we also uh we also find the casino what appears to be some kind of a love hotel and, and, and a pool. Um, and, you know, basically everyone gathers up after, you know, we find all these new places. And uh, we, we basically take the flashlight and we bring it. And Monokuma basically says that this is called a flashback light. And what it does is that by exposing yourself to the light, uh, you are able to recall memories of the past. And trying to, like, you know, because we, they don't understand. There's a lot of parts of their memory that's kind of missing. And 
you know, they kind of get into an argument about whether they should use it or not because it might be dangerous. But ultimately, they need more information. They need more knowledge in order to try and try to figure out where they are and how should how to expect how to escape. So they they decide to use it. So um, after using it, they kind of get a flashback about this thing called the ultimate hunt that's kind of been on the back of our minds for all this time. Yeah. It's something that Rontaro mentioned before, and uh, we don't know what it is just yet. It seems like. These uh, ultimate students are being chased by some kind of a large group, but for whatever purposes and why they are chasing them in the first place, or what they're going to do to them when they are uh, when they're caught is kind of unknown at this point. And uh, after spending some uh, some time, uh, do you guys remember what uh, who you guys chose for your free time for this chapter? Yeah. Or who were you most interested in checking out, checking out with? Matt, you want to go ahead? Uh, I, I didn't, I don't really have anybody that I've really focused on. I've done a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, I basically every time I've, I've picked a new person sure. to try and get, uh, you know, a little bit more on these people. But I, I, at the beginning of this chapter, I still didn't have any real, uh, gifts to give anybody. And because of that, I didn't get anything out of the time I spent with people. Uh, so. Yeah. I think about halfway through, you know, sometime in this chapter, I went and just unloaded all of my coins, bought every present I could get, and right. so now I've now I've been getting a bit more out of it. Now that I've been, uh, you know, sweetening yeah, them up. That's definitely the way to go because if you give them a decent gift, a gift that they like or love, uh, every event that you talk to them it will trigger the the additional event where you actually really talk to them and l- learn more about them and get that friendship shard. Uh, what yeah. about you, Drew? Do you remember? Oh yeah. I uh, dumped every single minute of my time with uh, Kirumi. Kirumi? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, any reason in particular? Because I thought she was going to be the second in command to Suichi. Certainly. She uh, she obviously commands a lot of respect. Every, I think everyone really likes her because she is so capable as a person. And she also listens to a lot of people's requests and basically does everything for everyone, right? Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, uh, I also spent a lot of time with Kirumi on this chapter as well, um, because like I said, I like her design and I thought her character was interesting, and I also felt like because of the fact that she was, you know, deemed to be able to complete any request, I thought she was going to be used in some kind of a heinous crime or something. So yeah. I wanted to learn more about her before that happened. Yeah. Uh, but after some time has passed, uh, nobody's getting killed, and Monokuma is obviously a very impatient bear. He says, you know what, guys? I have a new motive for you guys, okay? And he passes out during the night uh, motive videos, basically detailing the most the people that are people or the things that are most important to a person and kind of ends it with saying, like, oh, like, oh, maybe something terrible would happen to these people oh, or maybe something terrible did happen. Maybe you need to get out and find out. And what happened is that Shuichi actually ends, ends up getting Kaito's video. Uh, by mistake, apparently the monocubs screwed up because it was dark and at night they were kind of intruding into people's rooms. So they mix up the the motor videos that they were giving away, and uh, basically nobody got uh, almost nobody uh, got the right motor video. So everyone's holding on to these videos. Some have some have watched the other person's video and some have not. But they come to a decision that like yeah maybe we shouldn't swap these videos because it's a motive right. So what what is the point of giving a motive to kill to one of your student one of your fellow students? That seems like a terrible idea. 
and at this point, obviously, there are some people that uh, kind of disagree with what's going on. And uh, some uh, one of them, obviously, is Kokichi, because he's very interested in, A, what the other motives might be, and, B, he just wants the killing games to be more interesting, right? Yeah, I don't know if there's been anyone less likable than him. Yeah, Kokichi is, uh, yeah, like he says constantly, he's a liar, you know? So he lies about every single thing all the time. You have no idea when he's actually being genuine. And he seems to just want to rile, rile things up. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of the Joker in a lot of ways. He just wants to see things, see shit go down and everything want, everything be chaotic. Um, he's, he certainly seems like to be a, a dangerous person for sure, even this, despite his small stature. Uh, and he kind of tricks Gonta, the, the simple-minded uh, buffoon that he is, that uh, people don't like bugs. All the other students don't like bugs. And then tells them that, like, oh... Uh, you should you should like gather them all together in the room and then ch- tell them about how great bugs are. So he tricks Gunta into capturing people uh, and then bringing them to his his room to kind of <laughs> have this insect and meet and greet, greet which sounds terrifying because I hate insects. I'm not sure about you guys. <laughs> not a big fan of them either. Yeah, uh, that that scene where like um, Himiko is just covered with insects. It's like, oh man, nobody, nobody wants to be in that position. But he basically, Kokichi basically does it so that he can basically break into the other people's room, steal their motive videos, and basically have a huge motive video viewing party with everybody. Which is exactly something that uh, you don't want, you don't want to happen. But in the end, uh, thanks to the help of Kibo, who has a recording of Kokichi telling, uh, telling you know them about how they, how he really feels about insects. Uh, kind of turns the tables on them and gets the motor videos uh, redistributed to their original non-owners. Uh, seems like, you know, that's solved the problem. But the next day, uh, Himiko, who has technically, or it seems like he's she has joined uh, Anji's Atua cult, uh, which by, by the growing day, it feels like more of a threat because you figure <laughs> in a situation like this where people are on edge, they're more psychologically inclined to want to believe in a higher power, right? Yeah, immediately gives me a Lord of the Flies type of vibe. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, very or, much so. What was the um the St- uh, Stephen King uh, movie with um uh you know they're in the supermarket in the fog the mist the mist the mist yeah the mist yeah. uh they made a TV show out of that too I heard the TV show is terrible uh the movie was good though. I enjoyed the movie yeah yeah the movie was real good. Yeah, that ending though, Jesus. I um, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's um, the uh, it, like we'll we'll talk about more in the next chapter. But mm-hmm. as more people join this cult, I'm thinking, God damn, this is like fucking Jim Jones shit right here. Yeah, uh, it's it's perfect. I mean, for Anji because everyone is becoming really scared of everyone else, right? So they obviously want to band together. And they also want to throw away their responsibility onto something else. And what better than some pseudo-omnipotent god that's kind of, you know, is going to be willing to grant you any wish that you want. So and it makes you it, can hear. Yeah, exactly. And that makes it perfect for Anji to control her followers, so to speak. And whether she does that on purpose or whether, you know, that's just some kind of a defense mechanism that she's, she's built up so that people will be nice to her is, um, is up, up for debate, certainly. Because uh, I don't think Anji's really like malicious as as far as uh, what I've seen of her, um, at least up to this point. But um, she does seem to 
she does seem to warrant uh, a lot of suspicion. But uh, Himiko says, like, well, you know, we want to lift everyone's spirits, so we're going to do a magic show. So the next day, basically, they gather up in the gym, and they have a huge, huge uh, stage where there's a big water tank, and there's a piranha tank uh, kind of dangling above the water tank. And Himiko is going to jump into the pool, and when the time limit goes off, the the tank with the piranhas will be dropped down, and then the, the piranhas will basically eat her alive if she is still in the tank. So she only has one minute to try to escape. So basically, the show goes on. Himiko jumps into the pool, and uh, the curtains are pulled. But as the time grows, uh, you know, almost is when it becomes almost time out, Gunta freaks out and he says, like, oh my god, Himiko's about to be eaten alive. So he dashes onto the stage because he's the perfect, you know, he's a, he's a good gentle, gentleman guy. He wants to save people's lives. And uh, he goes up there, but he's kind of frozen. He doesn't know what's going on. The time runs out. The, uh, the, the piranhas drop. And then the curtains are open to reveal that it wasn't uh, Himiko in the in the in the uh, in the pool, but it was actually not a pool, but I guess it's a tank. what is it? What would you, yeah, a tank container, right? Yeah. A water tank, a water tank, and uh, it's Ryoma with handcuffs on, and he's in there with a bunch of piranhas who make short work of him by basically just eating him to the bones in a matter of a few seconds. Comically, cartoon bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I, I, I think if they went like rated, rated NC seventeen on this one, that would have been pretty rough. But um, yeah. yeah, and and uh, Ryoma is basically dead at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, anyone else would have had such cartoony bones, but since he was already <laughs> the most cartoony, I guess that's true. All the way down to the bones. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, despite the cartooniness, I mean, dying, getting eaten by a bunch of piranhas is a terrifying way to go. Imagine feeling every little bite of a piranha as they just eat you alive while you're while you're drowning at the same time. Well, luckily, according to the Monokuma file, he was already dead. Yeah, he uh, he was he was he was dead uh, to drowning. Yeah. So he didn't die because of the the piranhas. So at this point, we do some investigation. As per usual, what we're gonna do is that we're gonna touch on the investigation through the trial itself. So the trial starts off. And Kokuchi says, like, yeah, this is the easiest trial in the world. This is so simple. You guys are stupid. It was Himiko's show. So, obviously, Himiko is the one who set Ryoma to die instead of her by, like, switch, switching with her, him or something like that. But, uh, and uh, at this point, which, which was surprising to me, Anji agrees immediately. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, she she probably did it. I mean, you know, she's she had the opportunity, and and this was LL after her taking uh, Himiko under her wing, kind of into her cult and into the following of Atua. But uh, just like what Drew was saying, well, he Ruma was drowned. Uh, he wasn't eaten, so he was dead before he even entered the tank. Yeah. So you, you had to figure out, like, okay, so where was his body even uh, before? Um, you know, before, before he was switched out with uh, Himiko. So at this point, we need to basically figure out how the, how the magic trick was done. Because obviously, Himiko be- being the person that she is, she keeps insisting, Nah, it's magic. <laughs> She's that's, really that's kind fucking of annoying, I have to say that. Yeah, she is. She is, she is. Uh, I, I would definitely get because her reluctance to reveal her trick is actually putting everyone in danger, right? Because... Even if she gets fingered as the the black end, 
everyone else dies if she's not actually the pulp, uh, perpetrator. But we do figure out exactly how the trick is done because thanks to, uh, you know, we actually did a bit of an investigation on a water tank that is basically the same one that was used on the stage in the uh, Ultimate uh, Magician's Lab and noticed that there was an escape hatch on the side there. And that escape hatch was actually connected to a staircase. And the staircase was hollowed. So basically what uh, what uh, Himiko did is that uh, she used the safe... Uh, while the curtains were drawn, she used the sa- uh, escape hatch and then jumped into the jumped into the staircase, made her escape, uh, you know, kind of dried herself up slightly, changed clothing, and then voila, appeared uh, just, just fine. So they say, well, if Ryoma's body was hidden inside of the staircase, then she could have pulled his body out and then kind of went back in. But the issue with that is that Gunta, before the time limit was uh, even up, he he was witness to all this. And when he went up by the stairs, he saw he saw nobody inside the water tank at all. And nobody only, and nobody. Yeah, nobody and nobody indeed. And it was only when the piranha tank were emptied and dropped into the water tank that he noticed, or he and everyone noticed that Ryoma was there. So this part to me was real obvious. Mm-hmm. That's sure. where the body came from. Maybe it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think so, because uh, obviously this is the first step of many upon many uh, mysteries in this particular case. Because I felt like this case was fairly convoluted in a lot of ways, especially for a second mm-hmm. case as well. Um, so obviously he was um, hidden inside the, the piranha tank as well. But obvi- uh, but the thing is, his, if he was stuck inside with the piranhas, he would have obviously been eaten up. Like instantaneously already, right? right? So only his bones should have dropped. But something else was inside the water tank, and this was like a glass pan, a uh, glass panel, right? And what it was is that the, the killer must have used that as kind of a divider between the piranhas and Ryoma, where the piranhas were packed in so tight because of this glass panel that you couldn't actually see his body in plain sight behind the piranhas. And when the piranha tank uh, were, was emptied, the glass panel, Ryoma, and the piranhas were, were, were all empty together. Uh, and at this point, uh, we have to figure out, like, oh, then whoever placed the body inside of the piranha tank must be the killer. And the only time that they think that it could have been done was yesterday before nighttime. Because no one can enter the enter the gym during nighttime because that's against the rules. There will be alarms going off. The access cells will basically come blasting through the walls and then punish whoever the uh, the breaker of the rule is. And it would have been impossible during the morning because Anji and Himiko were basically kind of hanging out in front of the gym right before the, it even opened up. So the the time between eight. Uh, about eight o'clock to ten p.m. is is when the when the killing must have uh, must have been done. So at this point, you have to go over the alibis of every single person, and uh, the people that are kind of in question are Kurumi, Kaito, Mew, and Maki, who didn't have alibis during this time. Yeah, they weren't taken and, to the insect meet and greet. Yeah, yeah, they were either able to escape or kind of kind of shoot. Uh, Gunta away by whatever means. I won't get into each alibi, but everyone basically seems to have alibis except for like Maki and uh, Kaito. And um, at this point, 
we don't know which one of the two because they're saying like, yeah, it must be one of these two. But something just doesn't make sense, right? Because uh, like uh, Maki eventually kind of reveals the fact that she had actually talked to Ryoma after 10 o'clock, after nighttime. So if he, if he was alive past 10 p.m. when it was after the time where anyone could have set foot in the gym, then he must have been killed uh, after, after the nighttime, and the body must have been delivered in such a way where it wouldn't have broken the rules. So at this point, you, we change the focus to see, okay, so we don't know who might have put it in, but maybe it'll explain some things if you can figure out where he was actually drowned in the first place, because that is his real cause of death. Yeah, because so yeah, there's, I mean, there's multiple bodies of water as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a pool. Uh, there, you know, obviously is the water tank. And uh, we also did some investigating inside the Ultimate Pro, uh, Ultimate Pro Tennis Lab and noticed that there was this uh, big bathroom with this huge sink. And alongside the underside of the sink, we noticed a bunch of scratch marks that are actually identical to the size and length of the handcuffs. And his handcuff also has scratch marks that were uh, that were kind of indicative of, of it being scratched upon the surface, just like the, the bathroom sink. So we deduce at this point that he was drowned inside of his own pro lab, uh, inside inside the bathroom sink. Because obviously Roma is a very small guy, just keeping his head uh, kind of submerged inside uh, inside the the sink would not have been a very difficult thing to do. And uh, while he was drowning, he must have struggled, and that's why those scratch marks came in. And we notice that the window uh, outside of the the bathroom of the pro la- uh, pro tennis lab is that it was connected to the pool. And just by looking outside, we also noticed that there was a huge window uh, connected to the gym. And Which when we coincidentally, lo- right above the piranha tank. Right. Exactly. So there is definitely a connection to be made there because when we examine the. Uh, the window frame of both the gym and the uh, the the pro tennis lab uh, bathroom, we also see that there are these scratch marks, like very strong scratch marks, like something was very uh, was uh, tied there very tightly, and there was a lot of force. So we figure out that some kind of contraption was used in order to tie the two windows together in order to make some kind of. Uh, of a rope bridge of some kind. So we notice that there's a cable missing inside the uh, the tennis lab uh, that was used for one end, and then uh, a uh, was it a length of rope that was uh, inside the inside the gym. So at this point, I was kind of confused because I thought to myself, like, well, how how do you tie the two ropes together, right? Because I wasn't clear on that idea, but that's actually very clever because by throwing both ends of the um, of the rope to the pool. And then tying them together, all you would have to do is kind of pull them to one side, and they would be uh, tightened together. I I actually didn't think of that as like an option thing to do. And apparently, that's something that a lot of mountain climbers do, uh, or it's like a, it's like a tech, it's like a tactic that they would use, which I thought was pretty interesting. And we also noticed some evidence that was left inside the pool. Uh, one of them was this. Uh, what do you call these things? Uh, it's like a tire, right? Inner tube. Inner tube. Yeah. yeah. An inner tube, uh, some black fabric was also left in there. Uh, And uh, we noticed that the inner tube could have been used to kind of carry the body of Ryoma to the other window. Because 
the the bath the bathroom was actually higher elevation than the uh, the gym, so it would have it would have been it would have been easy. It would have been a simple matter of momentum for the inner tube carrying Ryoma and the culprit to kind of slide down this makeshift rope ropeway and then go on to the other side. And then we also verified the fact that just putting one foot into the gym wouldn't have counted as uh, trespassing. As long as you don't enter through the main door and then actually, you know, enter the, enter the gym, like, with your whole entire body, it wouldn't have counted. So that was a, a plausible method in order to kind of get that done. So at this point, we have to figure, okay, in order for this crime to have been committed, someone needed to prepare, right? Someone needed to set something up in the gym. They needed to leave the window open. They needed to tie one end of the rope and throw it to the side of the pool before they left. So before nighttime happened, someone must have prepared all of this. And it just happens that Kirumi was the last person to leave the gym, which makes her the most suspicious. Bingo. Yeah. Um, that's that, that was a revelation that came after a lot of discussion. And uh, basically, Kirumi says, like, yes, I, I was the last person to leave, but you have no evidence that it was I who set everything up. You know, maybe someone came after me uh, and then kind of set it up. Uh, so you have no evidence. And we basically say that, like, no, there is one piece of evidence that was also left in the pool. That's not the inner tube. And that was the, the piece of black fabric that we didn't quite know uh, what it was. Until we got the idea that Kirumi might be the culprit. And it's actually a piece of her glove. And what happened is that in order to contain the speed and momentum of carrying herself and Ryoma to the other side of the window, she had to grab the rope to slow them down. But that friction actually caused her uh, black glove to actually tear in parts. And then uh, it fell down into the pool. And she wasn't able to retrieve both the inner tube and the, the piece of fabric because it was also against the rule to be inside of the pool. And uh, since the pool was at a very low uh, low water level, she wasn't able to grab the items using a stick or anything like that. It was just simply impossible. And it was taking too much time, so she kind of just had to leave it be. And if it wasn't for that fab- piece of fabric... Um, I think it would have almost been like a perfect crime because uh, there were way too many openings. There was no definitive evidence outside of this. Which yeah. I found to be a little strange because the whole black piece of fabric to me is a bit of a stretch. How so? A, many characters have black clothing of some sort. Mm-hmm. And also, in my opinion, if you are getting rope burn, all you're going to do is wear a hole in your gloves. You're not going to rip a piece off. True. I was thinking somebody took something off, like, you know, maybe ripped a piece of cloth and then kind of held it around the rope as they slid. Well, what uh, what Shuichi said is that all we have to do is, uh, because her glove is made up of a very specific fabric, so all you need to do was kind of uh, compare the fabric of the glove alongside the uh, fabric that was ripped off, and then you will be able to basically clearly tell. That uh, and she is also the only person wearing gloves among them all. Well, uh, Mew Mew wears gloves and they're black. Does she? Let me she take does. a look. They're, they're fingerless gloves from the picture, but you are correct. Okay. okay, but I do remember them making a making a specific remark about the distinct features of the fabric 
and how they could uh, compare that to the uh, to the glove. But I get what you mean. Um, maybe they could have used like a towel or something like that. Or you know, she hadn't thought that far. Maybe she didn't anticipate the momentum to be that difficult to handle because it is a very convoluted crime. Um, I could imagine some parts of it kind of escaping, especially the idea of the inner tube kind of falling down after she used it. Obviously, that was a fault as well. Uh, when you're when you're making things more convoluted and when you're adding more and more steps, that also opens the gate for you to make even more mistakes. Because the more complex the crime, the more opportunities you have to make mistakes. I think that is the case for this uh, particular crime. But I do agree, Matt, that you raised some valid points about the. Uh, the per- uh, particularity of the, the the evidence that was used at the end. Uh, and basically, it turned out that um, the reason why Kirumi decided to kill is because she actually just got her motive video, her her own motive video. It wasn't mixed up. It just, hap- it just happened stance that she just happened to get her own. And by looking at it, she learned that she was actually the prime minister of a country. Meaning that she was in basically in charge of the livelihood of a of like an over a million people, and uh, as as someone who as who is as selfless as she is, she believes her duty to be of more importance than her life. And she found out well, she she figured that she needed to leave this place and then go find out what's happening to her people, and then continue to serve and lead them uh, kind of as a leader of sorts. And that's why she decided to kill. And Ryoma, and this is, I thought this was really fucking depressing. Um, he is not like a pushover. He's actually a capable person, you know? He was able to escape from Gunta, obviously, uh, almost like a superhuman feat because Gunta himself is, you know, not a normal person. He was able to escape. He killed a bunch of mafia people using nothing more than a tennis racket and steel balls. But the reason why Kirumi was able to kill Ryoma relatively easily or without any kind of resistance is because Ryoma actually got his own motive video from Maki when he was talking to her. And in the video that lists who is most important in his life, there was nothing. Not even a single person was left that was important to him. And then seeing that kind of filled him with uh, a sense of dread, sense of, you know, I have nothing to live for. Because He was already if, depressed. Yeah, if you think about it already in Chapter 1, he says, I got nothing to live for. If you guys need to kill someone in order to survive, kill me. That's, that's what he said. And he kind of hoped that watching his own motor video will kind of give him a reason to live on. But it had the opposite effect where it basically made him want to give up completely. So he didn't offer any resistance when Kirumi showed up and then kind of offered his life uh, because he no longer wished to live. Um, yeah, I actually, really like that part. I thought it was handled yeah, well. You know, it I was. Thought his, it, it's just so sad on his end. I thought Kirumi's story was a little weird mm-hmm. because it just seemed like it came out of nowhere and you could have stuck any backstory there. Yeah. To some degree, but I think it, it still worked well with her personality in particular, because we all know that uh, Kirumi is someone who took the the library uh, her duty more seriously than anything else above all else, right? She's like the selfless person that wants to serve, and that's kind of the reason for her own, her own existence and her struggle for life. Uh, why don't we go ahead and detail what her uh, execution punishment was? Why don't you Why don't you take this one away, Drew? Um. Well. Uh, she doesn't want to give up fighting, so uh, she takes off running. 
And uh, the entire time, Monokuma is fucking with her while yep. she is trying to escape. Uh, she climbs this... Uh, it looks like a vine that's got mm-hmm. thorns all over it. And it's uh, kind of ripping her hands to shreds. As she's climbing, she then runs into a bunch of blades that are in this corridor tunnel thing. It almost seems like a well leading straight up to the outside world, right? Yeah. And um, it cuts her many times. And she finally makes it to the very top. And she sees the light. She sees the exit. And then when she gets to it, it's actually just a piece of paper that's drawn (laughs) on. Yeah. And, cruel. Uh, yeah. Very cruel. And she mm-hmm. falls, she falls all the way down to her death. Yeah. I, I could really sense, because when you think about the previous executions and not just in this game, but in the other games, no one ever really tries to escape or puts up this much of a fight in order to survive. Yeah. Like when I sensed her desperation, it was, you know, obviously sad because I like Hiromi as a character, but I, it also rings true. That her willingness to literally do everything to get back to the people that she wants to serve, and uh, that's uh, that's that's the thing that I uh, I took away from this particular uh, execution, and that's now that it's over. I don't even know if I would say I like Karumi. Oh yeah, I, what? what I liked was the potential of what I thought she was going to contribute to the story. Mm-hmm. But now that she didn't, I don't actually have anything to latch on to. I, I don't think she really had that much of a character in the end. Okay, that's fair, because I know you place a lot of hopes on her, like, literally, because <laughs> I, I think you felt like she had a lot more potential because of her mystery and what she might actually do or what she might, who or she, who she might actually be, because a yeah. lot of the mystery surrounding her. And now There's that a lot that of these characters where I think the opposite of them is important. Yes. You know, yes. A lot of the characters, I'm like, all right, this is what you're showing me. Now I want to go one level deeper, and that's you know that's where your real character is going to come out. But I don't know that she had that level deeper. Yeah, yes, I I think I think I completely understand what you're talking about. She was a very much more straightforward character than um, we anticipated, and uh, I think that can be considered as a disappointment. But at the same time, I mean, if she was exactly the person that we thought she was, or she she kind of put herself out to be. I think there there's something good about that too. Yeah, because a bit of not, a red herring, I think. You yeah, can't have yeah. every character fulfill exactly what you expect they're going to do. Yeah, precisely. You can't you can't have you know mind blowing twists of main character dying in the first chapter. You know, happen all the time. It would yeah. literally kill any sense of excitement or any you know uh, any chance for a big reveal. Because if you keep dropping bombs one after the other, it simply just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah it's like so, watching NFL Red Zone. I don't. I don't know the reference. What, what do you mean? They instead of watching a whole game, they just show you all the touchdowns. Yeah, oh, the major. And that's, okay. you know, the touchdown doesn't mean anything if you watch thirty of them in a row. Yeah, that's true. Instead of it watching it in the context of the game where it like won the game or something like that, obviously it'd be a much more thrill yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Good analogy. I like it. Uh, and uh, this is something that I don't think you guys would know because you guys didn't hang out with Roma. But uh, if you actually do have a chance to hang out with him, his uh, backstory is actually pretty sad, too. And uh, seeing him go out like this in particular, actually, after learning about his past specifically, is is even more depressing. (laughs) But, um, yeah.
Yeah, I mean, if you get around to it, when you do beat the game, you do have that option, as you do in every Danganronpa game, to go into this mode where you don't have to do the killing games and just hang out and just learn about the characters. Right. Uh, yeah, check out Ryoma. I think he's I think he's a cool character, and then it actually adds to his story. There's one other thing we forgot to mention. Yeah, right. sure. During the execution, Monodan pushes another one of his Monocub brethren. He sure and, does. And and she she falls on top of him and crushes him. I can't remember. It's, it's the one that's all about gambling. Well, uh, Monosuke. Yeah, the 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 orange one. Mm-hmm. Monosuke is killed off by Monodam. So Monodam has now killed off Mono Kid and Monosuke. Uh, he seems to be on quite quite the uh, quite the streak here. He's like as 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 there is one more person dying of the students. There's one more Monocup, you know, getting killed off as well. Yep. Uh, I'm a bit curious. What do you guys think of that development as a subplot? Well, I had put that, I had mentioned in the last episode that I think Monodan is going to kill all of them and then turn out to be a good guy. Okay. But, well, we'll find out. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's just a distraction. Just a distraction? Yeah, okay. it's just a dumb cartoony thing. That yeah, it's, just yeah it's just some more points for ridiculousness. Yeah. You know, the the funny thing is, you guys have both valid like reasonings for it to be either way, and they're completely end of the spectrum. So that's that's fantastic. I love that. And uh, the last thing that we find out, as we do technically, you know, typically find out something something interesting at the end of each chapter, is that uh, Kukichi brings out the fact that like, yeah, you know, maybe Ryoma uh, got his motive from Maki, not just by asking, but by blackmailing her, because he knew what Maki's true identity was. Bingo. And Kukichi just basically spells it out for us. He says, she is the ultimate assassin. And Maki basically chokes Kukichi, lifting <laughs> up, lifting him up with one hand, uh, like some kind of a superhuman with, uh, some, with a ton of killing intent. Like she's a completely different person. She's always been very serious. Um, you know, from the get-go. But you didn't see much of her in Chapter 2 because she was basically stationed in front of her lab the whole time, you know? It's kind of not moving an inch because she wanted to hide this fact from everyone. Because if you enter, and this is where we begin in Chapter 3, so let's, just, let's go straight in. We enter Maki's uh, Ultimate Assassin Lab and notice weapons of all kinds. It's strewn about the wall. Uh, like, we're talking guns, crossbows... Like knives and you know, like swords and everything. They're just all over the place. So no one, if they saw this lab, would consider this to be the ultimate caregiver's lab. And uh, she hid this fact. She hid this fact, but also Monokuma did, right? He never corrected her at all. Yeah. So who who was explaining? That, that's my question because I keep going back to it. Mm-hmm. When when everybody was being revealed, and hey, I'm I'm this guy, and I, here's my ultimate ability. Why did she choose ultimate child caregiver for one thing? Or well, was, was that part of her memory? Was that she's supposed to be the assassin? But we got this memory of oh, just put it as the child caregiver. Like whose whose choice was it to say that she was the ultimate child caregiver? Was it her? Or was it Monokuma putting that into her head? Mm, good question. Well, you're connecting that directly to your particular theory, right? This is true. Yeah, so, 
you know, I, I wouldn't be able to say either way, but what do you think? What, what's their more evidence towards? I don't know. Honestly, I, I really don't know. It, it may, it may have easily have been her. She realized, uh, I can't tell everybody that I'm the ultimate assassin because then I'm going to be blamed for every murder that happens here. And um, that is not an illogical thing to think about, right? Because, oh, man, she's the ultimate assassin. We better watch out for her. And she said it herself that, yeah, whenever someone finds out that I'm the ultimate assassin, they always get paranoid about what I might do. And then they try to kill me first, which, you know, she would have to kind of defend herself, which means that she might have to kill them or, you know, disable them in some way. So she wanted to avoid this, and I think that's a very reasonable explanation for why you know she wanted to hide her. Yeah, uh, it's true. Account. Although you, you make a good point, Drew, that caregiver is not really fooling anybody. I mean, I didn't peg her as the assassin, but as soon as she said she was the caregiver, it it didn't make sense. Yeah, it, it seemed an off for sure. But I think there is some connection to that. If you hung out with her at all, like uh, didn't you uh, spend some free time with Maki a little bit, Matt? Yeah, I did a couple times. Uh, yeah, she mentions some things about the uh, the orphanage that she grew up in. And because she was one of the older kids that were at the orphanage, she just naturally was in a position where she had to take care of a bunch of kids. So in that way, that kind of makes sense, right? She was in a position where she had to take care of a bunch of kids, whether she wanted to or not, and she became yeah. very good at it. Yeah, so maybe it's an easy cover then because she's got some examples she can pull from and also... Mm-hmm. It's not an ultimate ability that you're going to have to demonstrate to get exactly. called out on it. Exactly, right? Like, what are you going to do? Like, if you're the ultimate inventor, say, like, yeah, invent something. If you can't, you'll be kind of outed as a, yep. as a fraud. But if you're the ultimate child giver, what are you going to do? Change my diaper? You know, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, it doesn't work. So in, in a clever way, uh, it does work. But I also agree with Matt that uh, I was like, yeah, you're not fooling anyone with that. You know, that doesn't make any sense. You're, you're probably something different is what uh, a lot of people were thinking as well. Yeah. And um, not only that, we also saw a bit of a bit of a flashback like we did. Just like in Chapter 2, we started out with that scene at a funeral with, the, with Kaede's picture and the whole line of pictures uh, all lined up together. Mm-hmm. We started out with what seems to be a news broadcast about a meteor storm. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, what do you guys what do you guys take away from that? The world at the ended. time nothing, but now <laughs> I'm thinking aliens. Aliens, Matt, I love wow. it. Where well, are you going with this? Only maybe not aliens, but they make a couple of comments about this world or another world. Hmm. Okay, which made me think aliens, and then you know, anytime I see meteors, I think aliens. Meteor association with alien? I'm not a hundred percent with you there. Uh, was there like a movie or a book you read that had like meteors and then aliens prominently featured? Uh, shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an interesting association to make. And uh, when you just like yelled out alien, I'm like yes, because like I said, we're we're able to change our theories and shift them as we see fit. So uh, you know, we'll we'll revisit that as as we go. Well, I will uh, show my nerd card for a minute. Okay, sure. If you remember the intro to Gundam Wing, they sent all the Gundams to Earth, disguising them as shooting stars. So, hmm, possible. So Gundam's now in the in the universe also with Tanganyika. Why not? 
hey man, Axosalus is one <laughs> step away from Gundam, so why not? I agree with you. Why not? Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to help Matt's point, but no, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I think uh, who knows? Hey, we got the okay. ultimate uh, uh, astronaut here. Maybe he's got something. Yeah, you got an that. astronaut. That's that's true. That we have exactly the luminary what... of the stars, man. So. Exactly, the stars are fucking falling. Well, that's very true. Uh, at this point, we also get a bunch of items to explore the new areas again. Matt, do you remember what these are? Uh, no, one of them's a key. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them's a ninja scroll. Mm-hmm. What was the third one? I don't remember. Oh, the third one's a hammer. Yeah, hammer. Yep. Yeah, so we have these new items, and just like before... We're able to access new areas, and they unlock the ultimate labs featuring the entomologist, the artist, the Aikido lab, and it doesn't seem to be uh, applicable to any particular one person, but we also unlock the computer lab as well. And, um, you know, this is interesting because up to, up to this point, each lab was associated with uh, with one one ultimate, right? So when I saw this particular computer lab open, I had some thoughts. So what, what were you guys thinking? I, when you I had that? one thought. Okay. Rent, Rentaro's lab. Yeah. Mm, that's exactly what I was thinking too because we don't know what Rentaro's ultimate talent was, right? Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that we would eventually come upon his lab and uh, maybe he was some kind of like the ultimate programmer or what do you guys think? Like some kind of other ultimate dealing with computers? The ultimate VR creator or something. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he created this world that they're in. (laughs) I don't know. I'm like, uh, I need to stop asking questions because that's the, (laughs) I just keep convoluting my own theory. It's your theory and you can do what you want with it. That's true. And, And I've been thinking this whole time. I'm like, this is, do we know it's a lab for certain or is it just a computer room? Well, they they kind of called it the computer lab, I think. Okay. But uh, I might be mistaken. I don't know the exact wording that they used. Uh, yeah. But I just I just like to point it out because it's some place that seems to be associated with an ultimate, but they don't call it the ultimate X's lab, right? So that seems suspicious yeah. to me in particular. Or, when or maybe it's Kibos. Uh, maybe. I doubt but, it, but, but why wouldn't they say exactly it's the ultimate? Exactly high tech for a robot, anyway. Yeah, that's true. And they would have also just called it the ultimate robot lab, right? Because everyone else. Uh, Got their got their you know entomologist lab, ultimate artist lab, ultimate aikido lab, and things like that. So they have their title prominently featured in the lab name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, on top of that, we also find another flashback light, and they decide to use it. And at this point, we see something interesting. We see an extension of what we saw in chapter two, the funeral scene. But instead of just having Kaede's picture featured, it is a picture of every student. Yeah. All 16 students, pictures all lined up together. And uh, I'm assuming you guys uh, assumed this when we saw the first picture of Kaede too, right? Yep. Yeah. So we, we saw all those pictures and we noticed there were 16 of them. And there being 16 pictures, there being 16 students, I think, uh, I think, I think everyone basically made that connection. But at this point, Drew, hey man, if you want to go back to the theory that they're all dead and this is some kind of a purgatory... This is lining up pretty good for you. I don't think this is some kind of a purgatory, but I am going to revise my theory. Okay, good, good, good. So, okay, so just lock and load that because we're going to get right into it soon enough. Yeah. 
And we also noticed some one other troubling, deter- uh, you know, development, and that is that the Atuo cult is growing. Yeah. Uh, not only, not only are Hitomi and uh, you know Anji obviously in in the Atuo cult. Now it's Sumugi. Uh, you know, go, was it uh, Sumugi Tenko, and also Gunta yeah. in the end kind of joins the cult as well, and uh, that's Keyboard. not a good look. Kibo uh, as well, yes, yeah, definitely, and uh, that's definitely not good because we've already established that cults are generally in a situation like this where there's killing going on and people want power and control can never be a, a good influence on anybody. So at this point, um, there's a new motive because you know obviously Monokuma loves throwing out those motives when there isn't killing going on. He says that like, okay, we're gonna give you this book. It's called. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of this book called the Necronomicon. I've most certainly heard of it. <laughs> yes. Yep. If anybody's ever watched, it's a bit of a famous watched. book. Yeah, if anybody's ever watched the Evil Dead. Uh, not even just the Evil Dead Necronomicon has been in the world of fiction for you know many hundreds of years. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's been around. And Monokuma says if you follow the ritual inside the Necronomicon, you can bring back one dead student as a transfer student. So I immediately thought of Drew thinking about Rentaro coming back. Bingo. Yeah, because you, you said from the get-go, oh, that guy that guy died too early. He was going to definitely yep. come back before the end. Well, here's my thing. And my, th- my, my thought was, oh, I get to choose somebody, and maybe this game's going to branch off into different paths, depending on who you bring back to life. And so I was thinking, obviously, most players would be like, let's bring Kaede back. But I was like, and, fuck that. Yeah. I'm bringing Rentaro back. Are you kidding me? You I, w- I wonder who the fuck this guy is. If I had the option, I would have definitely brought Kaeda back. She died too sad, man. Come on. Everybody Kaede died sad <laughs> so far. Yeah, th- this game's had some some pretty awful deaths in it. Yeah, you're right about that. Not that not that death is any times ever happy, but in particular, this game has some really, really depressing stuff. Like that Roma one kind of hit me hard, especially knowing now, like, his actual full past and what has happened to him. Uh, but, yeah... And at this point, people are like, yeah, this is fucking crazy. We're not going to be able to resurrect anyone. That's stupid. That's impossible, first of all, okay? Resurrecting the dead. This isn't fucking Full Metal Alchemist. You know, it's not going to happen. So I think they actually make a reference to Full Metal Alchemist at some point. I think Sumugi does. They, they actually do, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, shit. I think it's something. Does it have to mention the Philosopher's Stone or something like that? Yeah, I think that or Equivalent Exchange, one mm-hmm. or the other. And Sumugi is all about the anime and games, so she makes references constantly. She also makes a Georgia reference as well, which I thought was great. Um, but uh, uh, unfortunately, Anji and her cult, which are calling themselves the student council now for whatever reason, decide that, like, yeah, actually, we're going to use the Necronomicon. We're going to do the ritual, and we're going to bring back Rentaro. And her reason being, well, Rentaro seemed to know a lot more than he let on. Because he knew about the ultimate hunt before anyone else, and also and, he didn't kill anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's actually not a murderer or you know some weak victim, as she would put it. Uh, Anji, uh, Anji in particular, she's she's kind of cruel and very straightforward with her wording. She just wants Rantaro to be back alive because she would find him to be more useful. Maybe kind of cruel, but I suppose in in a situation like this, uh, you don't have a lot of room for sentimentality. 
so they take the book, they kind of go off on their own thing. But it turns out that uh, Tenko approaches Shuichi and says, I- I'm actually not really what the cult. I'm not brainwashed or anything. I'm just there to watch out for, you know, uh, Himiko and, uh, you know, make sure that she isn't hurt by Anji and the others. And she asks Shuichi, and uh, I think they go with Maki, right? Yeah. Yeah, Shuichi and Maki, and then they go there. And then she wants Anji to basically stop the ritual and then make it so that she doesn't do it because she feels like, and I think everyone at this point feels like, something bad's going to happen if she, if she does the ritual or tries to carry it out. So they go to the lab, and uh, they try to stop her. And Anji's like, no, 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 no. Everything is towards Atua's will, as usual. And, you know, you know, she just, she says her usual things and kind of brushes them off. And she locks the door saying that, like, oh, man, you know, uh, you know, I'm tired of these distractions. I'm only going to open the door for other student council members. And then the next day, everyone's concerned. They go back to Anji's room, uh, make sure that she hasn't done the ritual yet. And the door's locked, and she's not responding to anyone. So we have uh, Kikochi uh, show up. He says, like, yeah, lock doors are not really that big of a deal to me. And he just pulls out his handy little lockpick, uh, you know, toolkit, which he has revealed that he has in, uh, during uh, Chapter 2 when he actually broke into everyone's room to get the, the motor videos in the first place. So he, the fact that he can break into any room is actually kind of terrifying if you think about it because yeah. Kokichi is not someone you want to trust with uh, the Omni key to everyone's rooms. Nobody's uh, safe. <laughs> Certainly, nobody is safe. Indeed. Uh, so they. Another yes, yes. <laughs> Did they make that reference? There. No. Oh, uh, okay. Because I wouldn't be surprised if. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Sumugi made that reference, but uh, I think I would have caught it because that one's way too obvious. Speaking of, she's getting a little annoying as well because I spent some time with Sumugi, mm-hmm. and like how intently she talks about how plain she is. Yeah. She uses the word plain every two times per sentence, right? Yeah. It's uh, very, very frequently. She seems to lack confidence in herself, and that's kind of showing off in a lot of ways. Uh, But uh, I do find her success story with the whole cosplaying thing to be kind of interesting. And she is mostly reasonable, which is fine. But her overuse of being like, oh, I'm this plain person and plain that is kind of uh, overbearing to sometimes. So we open the door to Angie's uh, ultimate artist lab, and lo and behold, there's a grotesque scene up on display. Uh, do you remember what, what's going on here, Drew? Yeah. <laughs> so um, the first thing you'll notice is that there are um, multiple effigies, uh, wax figures of all the deceased students, hung upside down. Super More. realistic, by the way. Like They look identical to the real thing. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's your Rentaro coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the Kaede effigy has a uh, golden sword stuck in it. And then in the circle of these, what looks like set up as a ritual um, effigies, there is the body of Angie laying there in a pool of blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted her dead, but when I saw her dead, I was kind of sad at the same time. You know... I wasn't. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it's it's one thing to wish someone dead. To actually see them dead is kind of another thing. I get it. Like, I, I feel the same way because I'm, you know, I'm not big on religion to begin with. And I thought, like, she was a bad influence on these people. These these gullible morons like, you know, Kibo, Sumugi, and uh, 
Gunta especially. I think Gunta is you know, a super nice guy, and I don't want him to be misled anymore. Because he just keeps getting used in the most, uh, by the worst people, I think it feels like so far. Um, but, you know, seeing her dead, I was like, eh, that sucks. But it is nice that we don't have to really hear about how great Atua is all the time, I suppose. Yeah. Unless somebody takes over her mantle. Yeah, it, it may very well happen. Um, uh, and at this point, um, we start investigating the room. And uh, the reason why we'll go into investigation will be made clear soon enough. And uh, Kyo says, uh, like, well, why do we need to investigate all this stuff when we can just ask Anji's spirit and just, you know, ask her the question, who killed you? And then everyone's like, what do you mean ask ask Anji, Anji's spirit? And then she's, he says, yeah, I, I have access to the seance. Uh, am I pronouncing it? Pronouncing it that seance. seance, seance. Okay, thank you. A seance uh, to contact the spirit of the dead, and he says he has one that will work a hundred percent. Which is uh, funny because he was very against the uh, the resurrection working, but he's all for seances. Yeah, apparently resurrecting the dead and contacting the dead are very different things, and I, I think for him maybe resurrecting the dead crosses the line, yeah. whether he believes it to be possible or not. As something of an expert when it comes to, uh, I guess, rituals and mythologies of cultures, being the anthropologist, he has he holds those information very highly. Mm-hmm. And people are like, "Fuck it, let's 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 give it a try." He seems really intent on it. He seems like he knows something that we don't, maybe. So he kind of gets the help from Kukichi Kibo. Uh, Himiko and Tenko, and then basically sets it up. And he asks, uh, like, which, we need, like, this really dark room in order to make this, uh, seance work. And, um, Himiko points out that, like, yeah, we should use one of those empty rooms, and there's three of them, and she just kind of randomly picks the third, uh, picks the middle one, because she feels like the middle one is generally, like, good, good, like, good luck, or whatever, like, when it comes to, like, a ritual being performed. You think about it being in the middle of everything. So that's, she just picks the middle middle room. So they go ahead and they set it up. And then uh, Kyo says, uh, I mean, uh, Kokichi says, uh, like, yeah, Kibo doesn't have a soul because he's a dumb robot. Uh, so we should replace him with someone else. And uh, he uh, Kibo is swiftly replaced by Shuichi, who is kind of like, ah, fine, let's, let's do it. And the person who is picked to be the medium of this ritual is, uh, you know, kind of like, um, Himiko volunteer saying that like yeah I'll do I'll be the medium for this, but Tenko says like no 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 I'll do it. That way I'll be the spirit of Angie, Angie and then you'll be able to talk to her to kind of you know say your goodbyes and put this behind you. And uh, Tenko truly really cares for um, Himiko. I think we basically established that yes yes Tenko is most definitely a lesbian, and uh, she has a thing for Himiko. She had she always has from the very beginning. She's been carrying a torch for her. It seems very one-sided for sure, but um, she has been looking out for Himiko. If you think about, in, even in the second chapter, where Himiko was kind of you know, pointed as a villain, being that it was her magic show where the murder took place and everyone was blaming Himiko at the time, Tenko was the only person to really defend her. And here again, uh, Tenko decides to be the medium uh, for Himiko's sake and says, like, yeah, you know, after this, you gotta... You know, we, we can we can continue living together, uh, put the past behind us, and then we can smile and we can cry about it. 
But as long as we continue, you know, things will be, things will be good. And at this so, point, so would you consider her a, a bit of a stalker, or uh, you know, how would you describe that relationship since it's so one sided? Yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't consider her the harmful type of stalker. You know, there is that distinct like, oh, if you hang out with anyone else, I'm gonna murder you kind of stalker. And Tenko is definitely not that. Um, she she's more on the passive side of stalker, but she is definitely you know, someone that uh, is kind of one sided in in love with Himiko in a lot of I mean, ways. It, it seems like the advances are very clearly unwanted. Yeah, I mean Himiko. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, maybe she's not into girls. It seems like Himiko is not really into anything in particular yeah. outside of magic. Really, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she finds this whole circumstance to be very tiresome and very. I don't know. Something that she's just not prepared for mentally, right? That's why she kind of gave up and decided to give up deciding on things on her own. That's why she believes in Atiyo now, right? So she can just kind of push all her decisions on Anji, and then she'll make them for her. Uh, that way she won't be at fault and kind of take a lot of the stress out of the situation. Which, as cowardly as that might seem, considering the extreme circumstances, is very understandable all the same. Because they're still kids, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they might be very talented, but their maturity level, their you know, their ability to really think things through and kind of deal and uh, adjust to situations isn't isn't at an adult's level just yet. And even adults, like in situations like that, I don't I don't know if they would be any better. So yeah, uh, I can understand it. So they go through on with the seance. Um, they put the cage. Uh, they have Tanko kind of bow down on this like uh, marker which is placed by a rock and then she bows down all the way forward with her forehead touching the rock they put this giant iron cage over her put a white sheet over her and then they put this giant wooden dog statue on top of the cage they turn off all the lights they began chanting the uh the the seance ritual and uh, during the ritual, there's a large sound, like a something like something falling down or something like that. But everyone ignores it because they were told that uh, they're not to stop the seance at any cost or something terrible might happen. But they continue, and they try to talk to Tenko, who is inside the cage, uh, to to contact Danji's uh, spirit, and she's not responding at all. And she's not responding for quite a while, so they they start panicking. And uh, they go by the exact same uh, method to remove the the cage. I mean, remove the dog statue, the the uh, the white sheet, and the cage. And then uh, they they notice that Tanko is lying dead on the floor with blood all over the place. And the uh, piece of the floorboard has been kind of removed and moved. And then like, we get another. I like how you can inside. see the blood just mm-hmm. before any of the characters can. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Uh, because so you can after actually the... see that little shimmer of pinkness. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's happening. And they're all like, oh, why isn't she responding? I'm like, well, I can tell you why. <laughs> yeah. But I think at this point, when t- when Tenko volunteered and then she said those really heartwarming things to uh, Himiko, we're like, you're going to die, girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was... Everyone, everyone knew that she was probably going to die. I looked at it from a game standpoint because uh-huh. normally you go into investigation... You choose everything in the environment. You finish the investigation, and the thing starts. The class yeah. trial starts. And the, this one, I was like, oh, let's go do this side quest, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? Okay, this is more story, more exposition. Somebody's going to die here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, but all right. And I, I saw it, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to die. 
And I was thinking, well, I, I didn't know who was going to die. But I was like, when the lights go out, obviously that's when somebody's going to die. Yeah. And yeah, sure enough, I was like, oh shit, fucking double homicide here. Yeah, we got ourselves another body discovery, man. Two for two for one here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mono Koopa shows up, and he's like, ah, um, well, it's first come first serve. If if the the the, the blackened are two different person for this murder, then only the only the person that did the first murder is counted as the blackened, and the second one doesn't count. Doesn't matter. And then at this point, I was like, well, that's not satisfying at all. Because does that mean the second person kills someone for no reason and gets to get away with it for free? I was like, well, that's some shit. And well, at this point, we also do some investigation on that part. Go ahead, Joe. I, this, like, my mini theory that went into it was um, Tenko is the killer of Angie. And mm-hmm. then, then somehow Tenko killed herself. Oh, okay. And I was thinking, oh, this is one of those impossible solving cases where... We can't convict anybody because the convicted is already dead. Mm. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened before, right? That's very true. Yeah, so that's uh, there's some precedence for that as well. Uh, what were you thinking at this point, Matt? Uh, similar. I didn't think that. Uh, I didn't think that Himiko killed herself. You mean Tenko? I, yeah, Tenko. Mm-hmm. I didn't think she killed herself, but I did think she might have killed Angie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the motivation certainly was there, right? Anji was kind of putting everyone on edge, on danger, and he, she also had a lot of influence on Himiko, which who uh, Tenko obviously had feelings for. Yep. So it make it would make sense that the Tenko would want Anji dead. Um, but Tenko was also a very, you know, pretty simple girl. So I think it might have been a little bit too elaborate. That's why I had the same thought, but I thought of the person. I was like, I don't think she'd be clever enough to do this. I think if she would have killed someone, I think I felt like it would have been much more straightforward. Uh, it was my train of thought at this point. But, um, you know, we do some investigation on this side, too. And uh, we go straight into the trial. And then now we got to solve uh, the the first murder, which is the one that basically counts. This is the for all the marbles. The second one doesn't doesn't really matter because if it's a, if it's a different culprit, then we don't we don't you know, he, that person won't have an execution. That person is not named Blacken. Um, it's just a bonus. So, yeah, basically. So we focus on the first crime. And uh, the first thing we need to establish, because people are dumb, is that Sumugi brings up the point, like, what if she did the ritual and the dead did come back to life? And then one of the dead person, dead students, killed Angie. Because we have a locked room case, right? So we have the situation where, you know, if the, if the murderer killed someone inside the room, they couldn't have gotten out. And uh, by the way, Anji died. Her her cause of death was this a wound to the back of the neck, which basically killed her instantly. So it doesn't seem like she could have killed herself. So she said, like, yeah, maybe maybe she did the ritual. But we point out that in order to complete the ritual, she has to actually burn the Necronomicon, uh, you know, to to finalize the the ritual. And then Mew points out that well, the uh, the murder weapon we've established is the katana. That was uh, stabbed into Kaede's effigy, you know, because that had blood on it, and that katana is from Kyo's lab. But it turns out, well, anyone could have just walked into Kyo's lab because it was never locked, and also, Anji never would have opened the door for anyone except for someone in the student council. So basically, that includes uh, Hi- Himiko, um, the Sumugi, Gunta, and Kibo. 
So outside of those people, uh, Anji would not have opened the door for them to be let in in order to do the killing. Um, so at this point, well, we have to also figure out like how this locked room mystery works, right? Because if we, we if we can kind of figure out how the murder was done, then maybe we'll be able to glimpse into who the murderer was. Yeah. So we have to figure out this locked room mystery. And at this point, we look at the the exits and at the end at the at the entrances. We say that like yeah, like Kikochi could have like broke in, you know, using his lockpick and then killed her. But that's not what happened here because the culprit has set up some kind of an elaborate uh, method of locking the door after they left. And the way they did that is by stabbing the, the katana into the Kaede's effigy and spinning her effigy uh, along with the, the dangling rope. And uh, by leaving throughout the back door, the, the latch lock would uh, get slapped by the rotating effigy's uh, end of the katana handle, and then you would lock itself after the, uh, the criminal has left. And while that might sound kind of impossible, you also have to remember that the, the lock was actually very easy to move around, so you, even at the slightest touch, it would move. And also, secondly, the culprit had infinite tries, well, not infinite, but many tries to get this right, which makes it a lot more plausible. And also, given that there is hints of this gold uh, leaf uh, kind of rubbing off on this... Um, on the on the latch of the the lock, yeah, it, it also it's so old. It's coming off everywhere. Yeah, and this is also a throwback to the first case in Danganronpa One. Do you remember? Yep. Yeah, because the golden, off. yeah, the golden katana, uh, the, the paint was used as a big hint in the first case as well. So this kind of a throwback piece <laughs> which of which Monokuma alludes to, which was funny. Yeah, he, he, they they make reference to it all the time. Like whenever something's Happened similar to the previous game. Monokuma would always speak out about it. But at this point, we're kind of stuck. Like, okay, so it could be any of the student council members, but we can't draw them down. Because they none of them have alibis, because they were basically in their own rooms, right? So Himiko, at this point, kind of loses her patience and says, like, you know... Like, I'm getting tired of this. I also want to know who killed Tenko. Because obviously she was close to Angie. And it turns out that even though she didn't really show it, she also really uh, liked Tenko as well. Um, so when Kokichi says that, like, well, we, we don't have to care about Tenko's murder. It doesn't matter. And she kind of goes off on uh, Kikochi, which is actually something that we haven't seen before. She hasn't shown a lot of emotion. And she's very angry at saying uh, that Tenko's murder doesn't matter. So we shift focus to the second murder this time around and try to basically figure out when uh, Tanko uh, might have been killed. Uh, so we basically kind of reenact and figure out the exact events during the seance. And uh, we try to figure out the suspects. So you figure in a situation where it's dark inside of a room and then someone dies, it's one of the people that was inside the room, right? Because uh, it would have been very difficult for someone to, if someone from outside to get into a room that's pitch black and then kill somebody. Well, here's my thing. Because mm. I, I had this, I don't know why, but I was thinking, oh, we found a floorboard that had been moved. Um, I was thinking somebody was under the floor because there was obviously a crawl space where you could. There crawl. was, certainly, certainly. So somebody from the outside went into another room, went under the room, into the middle room. Mm-hmm. Used the sickle to stab her while she was under there, and then got mm-hmm. the hell out of dodge. 
And I was thinking, like even during the class trial, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, this is obviously somebody was hiding on the floorboards, waited for the ritual to start, and then, you know, stabbed her and then got out. And I was thinking, and so I kept doing that, like thinking that as I was doing the class trial. Dude, I was I was down to like one heart at the end of this class trial. I was like, what the fuck? This is, this is not making any sense. Were you influenced by the fact that that exact same thing happened in the first case of Danganronpa, v, uh, Danganronpa 2? Yeah. They, yeah. Okay. They even mentioned it. They do. They they were saying they, uh, they, they were saying oh it could have been used they could have used some kind of paint so they could see it in the dark <laughs> and shit mm-hmm. like that and I was like yeah I mean this is like are they recreating the the events here I was like but I mean like the whole time I was thinking there was somebody under the floorboards doing this but uh, we established that there wasn't because a it was pitch black you know that you couldn't see anything on the floorboards and if they use some kind of a light uh, source. The light would have shown from under the uh, under the floorboards, and then they would have been able to see it. It would not have been uh, they would not have been able to stay. Uh, uh, basically, I don't know. They would not have been able to move around under there. And also, there was no glow in the dark paint because there was no glow in the dark paint that was revealed during the investigation at all. It just simply was not used. So we can kind of cut out the idea that someone else might have been outside or under the floorboards during this. And also, add to the fact that the the wound that uh, killed uh, Tenko was behind her neck. Yeah. If someone were to have poked something through the floorboard, it would have been up towards right. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be something behind her head. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, that, you know what I imagined? I imagined somebody sticking their arm through the hole, and then just kind of like using their elbow to like slab down on somebody. <laughs> you have a very vivid imagination, Drew. I was thinking, damn, that's been fucking awkward. But I guess he's a crack shot. <laughs> Got it right in the neck. <laughs> Very, very impressive. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Nah, it's, it's fine, man, because I can kind of see it, because once again, they do another throwback. The first murder, throwback to the first murder of Danganronpa 1, while the second murder is a throwback to the sec- first murder of Danganronpa 2, right? Yeah. So it's like they're connected somehow, and they're making reference specifically for that reason. But once again, uh, neither of those pieces of evidence are actually used in that way. And we're trying to basically figure out when she was stabbed, right? So was she stabbed before she was put inside the cage? That can't be, because they talked to her after she was inside and everything was pitch dark. Uh, you know, They talked to her, they got a, a confirmation from her, and she was perfectly fine at the time. So it must have happened, you know, during or after the seance. So they were looking at it, and they were kind of basically examining each piece of evidence saying like okay maybe she was killed while she while the cage was being lifted up you know they could have just quickly stabbed her without us knowing uh but that's not the case because the white sheet that was covering the cage had blood splatter on it so that must mean she was stabbed when the white sheet was uh, still on so you know during that process so we're just trying to figure out what's going on but we can't figure it out, right? It's, it's very difficult. We don't, know, we don't know what's going on. So we think about, did something weird happen during uh, the seance? And we think about, oh, yeah, that, that really loud, you know, thumping noise that happened. And uh, we're trying to figure out the reason for it. And when we think about everything that's happened and anything that has changed afterwards, 
the floorboard being moved and kind of like being ajar from where it used to be was the only thing that was actually changed. Outside, obviously, you know, Tenko being dead. So we figured that someone must have um, slammed on the on the uh, on the floorboard, and that's what made the sound. And in order to connect that with uh, the actual, you know, facilitation of the murder, is that if a sickle was actually on the outside of the cage, kind of hanging down with the bladed edge through the through the hole, and Tenko, who was right under the floorboard. I mean, not onto the floorboard, but right on the floorboard was actually thrusted up into where the blade was. Kind of a seesaw effect when the culprit stepped on the uh, the floorboard to make her body go flying up right to the outside, of, uh, you know, right to the edge of the edge of the iron cage. Then that could very well fit with everything that we know. The blood on the sheet that would explain it. Uh, you know, the the fact that the the bloody sickle was find uh, found elsewhere. And that being the uh, the killer weapon, it could have been sh- it is shaped the right way in order for that to work. So we have to basically figure out okay, who was able to move in pitch darkness towards a very particular spot, and we figure oh wait, in order to do this crime, one of the uh, one of the one of the pieces of wood underneath the floorboard needed to be cut out, and the person that picked this room to do the seance. Was Himiko, right? Can can we can we go back for one second? Sure. You you mentioned it seesaw effect. Yes, I did. Fuck Hangman's Gambit. <laughs> because it is what it, happened. It's dude. That's where I got to one fucking heart. Because I was like, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm spelling here. There's 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 two words, and I have no fucking clue of what it is. And so I just tried every fucking letter until I, okay, there's an S. All right, S. So I was like, what the fuck am I spelling? And I was like, seesaw. And I was like, all right, what's the next one? Seesaw effect. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's not really a phrase. I mean, Yeah, I was, it's not a phrase you see here too often. The seesaw, definitely, but the effect part is weird. I agree. Yeah, and I was like, what the fuck am I spelling? And I, like, I just, like, I, I just kept fucking up until I got it right. And I was like, God, I'm going to fucking have to restart this shit. Did That's you, how I felt, ha- but with the mind, mind. Uh, I hate the mind, mind too, man. I, the- I didn't realize that you don't have to clear every single block. Wait, were you doing every block around the entire stage? Yeah, I thought Holy you had to get oh, every shit. single block. Oh, every <laughs> oh block. man! So I played the the first time. I must have played it twenty times before I got it. You mad I was man. like, all right, I'm getting better. I'm getting a little better. I only had four <laughs> left this time, and only three left, and I'm like, ah. I'm so close. A couple of times I had one left. And, you know, you, know, you and can then, tap on them multiple times and it takes away time, but it, you can also delete one single one. Yeah, yeah, but if yeah. he's clearing all of them, he's going to run out of time, dude. That's crazy. Because yeah. you're always left with like a dozen or, or 20 left. And, you know, it's like, all right, I cleared everything I can clear by matching. Now I've got 15 left, but I've only got a minute left on my clock, so I'm not going to win. Yeah. That is and, uh, actually pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, I spent as much time on the second one. I'm like, this is impossible. I I I might not get past this for the whole week, the next three weeks. <laughs> so that that was that's like, I've played so many of these games. I can't. I hate these mini games. I fucking hate them. Mini games. That's every single one of my Danganronpa reviews. We check them all. Minus side, unnecessary mini games. Yeah. 
every single game, man. Like, there's some that are done well. Like, yeah. like I don't mind the the nonstop debates. I don't. I really like the one where you have the the split decision. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's new for this game, and that's really that cool, cool because I like you know you you got your side and you got the other side, and you're having to basically argue against what they're saying. And I like how Suichi's like calling out people, telling them you know like, like tag team yeah. shit. I thought that's kind of cool. But this like fucking hangman's gambit and the fucking playing uh, snood or whatever to <laughs> to to learn what the fuck a you know find the, an item and then the taxi thing. Come the fuck on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I, like it, I really hate that about it. I was like, there's there's an easier and better way to do this than to play a mini game that that just takes up time. Yeah, I think nonstop debates and the the addition of things like the the perjury system and stuff like that are very strong. That you don't need to lean on things like mind mine and hangman's. You know what? Fuck it. Leave hangman's gambit. That's been there, you know, from the very beginning. Fine. You can have one dumb mini game, but don't add things like mind mine. That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, I can easily do that more than I can. Yeah, I can hangman's now. Gambit. Like hangman's really? gambit. Hangman's gambit wasn't too bad, dude. Like when I don't know what the fuck I'm even looking for. Seesaw effect? I didn't even. I wouldn't. My mind wasn't even thinking that shit. Matt, did you have any uh, troubles with seesaw effect? Uh, I can't do the investigations without looking up the answers. Ah, uh, okay. Mm, so. uh, I have the same exact same comment as I had from last game. I think that the whole last section. I think the investigation should be totally redone. My brain is not that good. Uh. What I what I wouldn't this game would be perfect to me if they gave me one bullet, and then a convoluted story, and I had to figure out where to use the bullet. But you to have like the, you don't have the multiple, five, multiple bullets. No, because I'm basically I need to listen to the whole thing with one bullet in my mind, and if that one doesn't work, I have to listen to the whole thing again with the next bullet in my mind to try and figure <laughs> out. And it, I, it's the whole thing's a mess to me because I feel like I have the same comment that I had the last game. I feel like I'm bad. I'm really bad at this game. You shouldn't feel that way. First of all, we've established before that letting it go, get letting it go all the way once, is actually a good way to play the game because you get all the context of the story, and the B, it gives you time to really think about the choices that you have. So don't feel like you're bad at the game when you let it go once. I think even right, if you know the answer. Bullets. Yeah, even so I, if you know the answer. But, well, I mean, some of them obviously don't apply to any of the statements, so you can just kind of start crossing them out on your mind as, as you listen to them. But, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Like, you don't you don't enjoy that particular aspect. But I like the multiple bullets thing. I, I think I think that's enjoyable. I would uh, rather have all those bullets be separate. You know, I'd, ra- I'd even rather this section was twice as long if, you know, if it was one bullet at a time. I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, no, I didn't have any problem because I looked up Seesaw's, Seesaw Effect beforehand. Okay, but uh, that's that's good. I think we all have, like, this one or two sections of the game where we really struggle and almost die. Every uh, fucking time Hangman's Gaming comes up, I'm like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> Some of them are super obvious. The Seesaw Effect was hard. I'll give you that much. Yeah, I was like, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was like, what the fuck am I even spelling? It's you true. can almost ga- you can almost game the system because you'll notice the the letter that you need actually comes up a lot more often than the other ones. That's true. So if you start if you start looking at it and you're like, well, you shouldn't like you shouldn't use words or I mean letters that obviously shouldn't start. Like if you see like a letter is like 
uh, like F or you know something like that. It's like uncommon for a word to start with some particular letters, and uh, like V or something like that, right? And then you, you're like, that that wouldn't make any sense. So you just choose one, and they give you different a, a decent amount of tries as well. Uh, and the retry system is actually pretty good. You start right before whatever thing you failed on, so uh, you do get a worse grade and you get less mana coins, but that's the only penalty really. But uh, getting getting back to the trial, we only have to do is figure out who was able to go, you know, in pitch black darkness and go to a specific uh, spot and then jump on it. And we think about ways that they might have been able to do this. And we figured, well, if they had something to touch and to follow, uh, then they might have been able to get to a specific location where they, you know, didn't have to see to do exactly what needed to be done. So they thought about, like, well, maybe they could have followed the wall. No, because the, the spot they would need to be is clear, uh, I mean, closer to the center of the room. So they wouldn't have been able to follow the, the walls at all. But what was at the center was actually this uh, very elaborate, uh, like, a, like a symbol or like a ritual sigil or something like that on the ground that uh, Kyo has drawn with salt. So obviously you could, you know, kind of touch the ground and you can feel the salt. That's on the ground. And then you, you would be able to use that as a guide. And Kyo says that, like, well, if the circle was only in the middle of the room and I was in my corner, I would not be able to kind of go to where the circle is. Or if I did get to the circle, I wouldn't know where I am in the circle to make use of that to be any kind of guide. So at this point, we can't look at uh, the circle because as everyone was panicked and, you know, everyone was trying to get to Tenko... They kind of basically stepped on the salt, right? They they basically stepped on it and kind of ruined the evidence. But it turned out that uh, as uh, as Kibo was making you know his exit, he actually took a picture of the the sigil, uh, thankfully uh, using one of his new abilities that Mew has installed among many you know kind of useless pseudo useless things that she has installed on him. Which which I also found a little strange because the, the, there was no context for this ability. That's true. It's because kind it of came just, out of oh, you know, he he has had things installed in him. So, whenever there's no easy answer, mm-hmm. you can just have Kibo come in and do something that you know you can't you can't try and envision how this is going to play out because you don't have all the facts. And yeah. I, he it's is really the ASX machina. Yeah, it's almost like if Himiko actually was a mage, you know, and then she, you know, and then she killed somebody just by using magic. You, you can't have that be the end of the the end of the investigation when you go through every logical possibility and then it's just oh yeah it was magic in the end. You know it it, it seems it seems like this seemed a little bit cheap to me to just say yeah yeah oh, oh yeah I, I don't think I don't think it's to the extreme degree of it like being like oh it was all magical along you know I think that would obviously piss everyone off but in this particular case uh, it was definitely uh, categorized as a Deus Ex Machina you can consider but he is literally a robot. So, yeah. Yeah, but he's I a robot, like, with the strength of an elderly man and, the, <laughs> and poor eyesight. <laughs> I, I still kind of find the whole thing suspicious because yeah, even if he took a picture and we see that, uh, you know, somebody could have used the salt to mm-hmm. to feel their way around, you couldn't step around all that shit. Yeah. No, 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 no. Keo made it very specific not to disturb the salt. Like, he made it... I- explicit that you're not to disturb it. I know, and but that's what, what, what I'm saying is in pitch black, yeah. 
No, they were supposed to be standing in corners. They were all in their corners, and then afterwards, they uh, turned off the lights. So they would not have been moving at all. So the fact that it was not disturbed in the slightest makes perfect sense. What I'm saying is is that... He would have disturbed it. He would have disturbed it going to stomp on the on the the board yeah he would have but was any, would anyone be looking at the thing because everyone rushed to the body after it was discovered right yeah I so think at that's that true. At, at that point it would have already been ruined so mm. no one would have really because a they wouldn't be looking for it and b it would have already been done when they were starting to look for it so in a way it was it was a very clever idea to use that as a piece of evidence that basically everyone would have a hand in destroying yeah, I also uh, definitely, you know, b- a bit before this figured it couldn't have been Himiko just because because picking the room is not specific enough to mm-hmm. the exact board. Like she, you know, who's to say that Koraki is going to is going to be able to draw this thing to where the center is exactly on this board? Well, the thing about what Koraki said in defense of this particular point is that everyone had access to this file that he wanted to use. So, you know, it was his lab was open basically to the public, more or less. So he says that everyone had information about how this ritual would have been done. So it's not only I who had the information is what Right, but to me there's only one person who drew the circle. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the person who the person who drew it could put that board right in the middle where they needed it. Mm -hmm. But it you know, it doesn't matter who picked the room because even the person who picked the room wouldn't know exactly where he was going to draw the circle. Well, there there was a drawing, or um, but I understand exactly what you mean. But the fact that Kyo drew the circle, and not only that, he drew it in a way that's contrary to how it was supposed to be drawn in the, yeah. in the document. And they had he had these lines that were going to the, the edge of the room that would guarantee that he would just be able to just lean down and feel the salt immediately in order to be able to just follow it straight through to where he needed to be, and then make his way back to his own corner without any issue at all. And uh, the reason um, that it didn't matter that uh, it was in the middle room that Himiko had chosen is because uh, Kokichi, during his investigation, actually kind of tripped over one of the broken boards on one of the other rooms and then fell down. And he was actually kind of a little bloodied. Did you guys fall for that uh, third possible murder there? <laughs> when he showed up and uh, he was like bloody on the ground? Yeah, for a half second. Yeah, for yeah? like a half second, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? We're going to do this? Yeah, I thought I, I got me pretty good too. It's like, and then he kind of looks up and he's like, "That's a lie," but I'm really bleeding and this hurts a lot. I so, hate that fucker. Yeah, me yeah. too. I, I really hope fucking hate him. Nah, he's probably gonna survive because that's what they do in these games. <laughs> did but, you okay? Did you hate him more than you hated, let's say, like Byakuya? No, nah, Byakuya at least he was a dick, mm-hmm. but. He 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 turned out to be. He still had reasons. Yeah, some leadership qualities. Yeah, he he still had he still had this this thing about him of like, no, I'm going to do this because I want to find out who the fuck is doing this to us. You know, yeah, so while Koichi doesn't give a shit, he's just like, ah, this is this is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, he's um, a psychopath. Yeah. So okay, I, fucking... I I can feel the hatred for Koichi bubbling up in both of you. That's very good. Yeah. But... Uh, but I, I still have a question about this. Certainly. I don't understand why he needed to alter the circle to draw the lines out to the corners. I, I know what they it. said is that he needed to be able to reach down. But 
he's standing in a corner looking out over the circle at the two people who are dowsing the candles. Mm-hmm. And it's not a perfect circle. There's an entryway. So, I mean, from where he was standing in the corner, he, all, he knows he just had to walk forward two steps, you know, and and then reach down and then walk forward until you hit the salt line and then go to the right. And then he would have he would have found the entrance and got in there. I think you're underestimating how difficult it is to even walk straight in pitch blackness. It's actually more difficult than you think. You're very, very disoriented when you have no field of vision whatsoever. So even walking straight would be hard. Unless you're looking and you only have to go two feet. Eh, You might think that, but also we've noticed that Kyo is a bit of a perfectionist in a lot of ways. So he wanted to guarantee. And also, he was under a very strict time limit to do all of this. And not only do the crime... But to also get back to exactly where he was too, right? So in order to get there and get back after doing this in the in the span of maybe like 10, 15 seconds, I think he felt like he needed to guarantee and make it as easy as possible for him to be able to get it uh, exactly. And also he needed to step on a very precise piece of wood as well. So you know, get, you know, gathering all this information and trying to process it in pitch black, I yeah, think he wanted he's, some he's, kind of assurance. He still went in through that same. Opening. What do you mean? Right. He didn't step over the lines, is my understanding. He went through the the opening where they carried in the the cage. Or did he actually walk over the circle? That that much, I don't think they clarified. They they did. Right. That's what I was. That's what I was talking about earlier. Was like, I, like I I find it weird that nobody even said. Well, you can obviously see somebody fucked up the circle. Well, see, but I don't think he had to go through the circle. I think he could just go through the entrance. I mean, he may have. I don't know. Yeah, that that part wasn't cleared up during the case itself. I'm not sure how important that is, but I can understand what you mean by, like, you don't necessarily need the line particularly. Yeah, it just seems to me like they stuck that in as, you know, again, as, oh, we don't know how we're going to have, you know, we, we need him to have something that he messed up. Um. Well, not so much messed up, but you needed like kind of one more definitive proof just to be sure kind of deal. Uh, so you can look at it in a gamey way, but I think if you examine his personality uh, particularly, uh, he's he's very particular about the things that he wants to do. And if you think about, uh, well, let's, see, let's continue with the trial and we'll revisit this topic, okay? So at this point, we're saying, Kyo, you're, you kill Tenko. And, Ten- and Kyo says, you're right, I killed Tenko. Good job. You guys figured it out. That was that was really great. You guys did a good job. And then and everyone's at a shock and they're at a loss. Like, wow, he just admitted to killing someone. And then he says, Well, why don't we get to the real topic at hand instead? And everyone's kind of dumbfounded. And then we remember that it doesn't matter really who killed Tanko because only the, the person who killed Angie is the blackened this time around. So it happens that Keo is kind of uh Getting getting away one with one for free, whatever his reasoning or motive might have been, um, you know he's kind of getting away with it, and that does not sit well with Himiko at all, because obviously she cared for both, and she says like, well, if you kill Tenko, then you probably killed Anji too, but at this point she doesn't have any evidence of that at all, and she wants to just vote, she wants to just kind of like make it so that it's Kyo that did everything. So we kind of have this split moment where we have to convince them that like, yeah. We still need to examine the evidence. We need to solve the crime uh, for what it is. And Shuichi brings up that there is actually some evidence left during uh, left during uh, Tenko's investigation that we haven't been able to explain. 
For example, underneath the floorboard of where Tenka was killed, there was a bit of dried blood there, symbolizing that that dried blood has been there for a while. You know, because uh, the blood from Tenko's body was obviously still fresh and it was still uh, dripping. Uh, if you guys know anything about blood, it's that when you you know after blood has been left out, you know, the blood cells die and they coagulate, and they have a very difficult, uh, different texture to uh, compare to fresh blood. So it's uh, very distinct, and because of that, we have to uh, we have to figure out whose blood that is. And if you think about the other person that died during this case, was Angie. He says. What if, what if there was Angie's blood, right? So, because that means that Angie wasn't actually, you know, Angie may not have actually died in her own lab, which means that uh, all this whole controversy about oh, only the student council members would have been left, let, uh, you know, let in in order to for them to commit the crime, that would no longer apply. That would open a whole new door to a bunch of new suspects. So we have to think about like wait wait a second, but if Angie's blood is here, what would she be doing in this place in the first place? What would, what's what's her reasoning for actually being in one of the empty rooms? And then we think back and we remember the procedure of the Necronomicon, and the last step that they needed to take was to burn the Necronomicon itself. And Angie didn't have any source of fire, but on the walls of these empty rooms there are these candles. And obviously, it seemed last night she was trying to go, to, you know, to one of the empty rooms and, and then get one of the candles. And in the process, she walked up, walked into someone preparing for a diff- different crime entirely. And we've already established that Tenko was the, you know, the the per- I mean, not Tenko, but the Kyo was the one preparing the these empty rooms, all three of them, uh, to prepare for the murder of the seance. So if she kind of happened on um, Kyo, then A, he could have just played dumb, but he decided not to, and decided to basically say, like, fuck it, you know, I'm, I'll take care of her right now. Because if you, if she spills that Kyo was doing something very suspicious, then obviously he would not be able to do anything at that point, right? Because everyone will be looking out for him, maybe they'll try to, like, lock him up or something like that. So he didn't want to take that risk. So he took that cut-up board that he was holding, uh, the floorboard that was loose, and then he smacked Angie across the head. And we know that because on the flip side of the uh, the loose board where Tenko died was actually some more dried blood. And then we basically figured out that uh, that blood must have come from Angie. So at that point, okay, so if Kyo knocked Angie unconscious, then he could have brought her into her open, you know, uh, lab, and then basically, you know, went to his lab and then took everything he needed, like the rope, to hang the effigies upside down to make that lock room, the katana of being the murder weapon from his own lab and then using it. And all of these things could have been done by him and basically him alone. And the last uh, kind of like uh, the point across is that he, he points out that like, well, if she was bleeding and she was moved, then there would have been blood trail, you know, from one point to the next. But we find out that there was actually a bit of duct tape that was used to cover up her uh, Angie's uh, head wound, where where she was knocked unconscious, and then that basically kind of uh, seals seals the deal more or less. Uh, you know, pointing out that it was only only his he was the only person that would have been in the room. He would have been the only person that uh, would have been uh, setting up for a crime, and he would have been a disadvantage. And then that's why he basically killed her. 
And then uh, at this point, we learned some weird things about Kyo. Do you guys remember what's up? Yeah, I remember what's up. And mm-hmm. before I learned what's up, uh-huh. I was thinking how fucking dumb of him. Mm-hmm. Because A, he killed Angie, and it could have pretty much got away with it. He, he sure could have, man. So why, it was, the, why the fuck would you continue to kill somebody? Why would you continue with your original plan when you've already got a, you've already killed? That does seem like a very stupid move, right? Mm-hmm. But then we mm-hmm. find out why he kills, and he's weird. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he has he has essentially a split personality, where he is himself as well as his older sister. Uh, and uh, when he's pushed against the corner, his older sister comes out and tries to calm him down. He takes off his mask. He's wearing lipstick. And he assumes the the role of his sister. And he reveals to us that his sister is actually dead. And he is trying to get 100 friends for his sister to hang out with. Uh, He only targets women. And he figured, why not just send two of them to her instead of just one? It It is strongly implied that he has killed many before yeah and he also qualifies these victims by saying that oh they they can't just be women they have to also be worthy to be friends you know of of my dear sister so when he saw that tenko was being uh you know nice to uh, himiko and then was kind of taking her spot in order to uh so that so that uh, himiko would get some kind of closure he found their spirit to be admirable and that's one of the reasons why he chose her and um yeah, he's basically, you know, insane because basically what he says is that he performed the seance after his uh, sister died and he felt her sister, uh, her spirit enter his body and he doesn't he doesn't think that uh, it's a split personality at all. He just feels like her spirit is literally living inside of him. Um that's why he was so insistent that seances do work because yeah, according to him, he's had a successful uh, seance before, so that's a thing. Yeah, uh, I always he, thought he had really feminine-looking eyes. I thought the twist was going to yeah. be that it was actually a woman. woman. That's what I thought, too. I thought it was going to be a woman all along, but uh, apparently not the case. Do you guys remember uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica? Yeah. You remember the main antagonist for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy actually masquerading as a sister. That's what I would thought of when I saw this. I was like, ah, yeah. Oh, well, there's the other thing of he, he has sex with his sister. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Related by blood. But you know, sure, why not? Hey, he's he's disgusting. <laughs> Finally, a a execution that was worthy of execution. Yeah, I thought this one was weird, but kind of awesome at the same time. Yeah, very Japanese. Sure. Um. Yeah, punishment time. He. <laughs> uh, it, let's see here. It starts off. I can't remember how it starts. I know how it ends, but I can't remember how it starts off. They have him hung up on ropes, like he's like in like a bondage thing. Right. Yeah. And they're spinning him around like all the time, like constantly, just kind of really disorienting him. And the rope gets cut, uh, and then he drops into a, a, a like this like a cauldron. Cauldron. Yeah. yeah, a cauldron, and then it's basically boiling, boiling, boiling hot. Yes, boiling him alive. Uh, as this is going on, Monodam runs into the fire and kills himself. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was trying to push uh, uh, Mono uh, Monotaro and uh, Monophone, 
they move out of the way at the last second, and then he move, he gets in. He, he didn't come suicide. He tried to kill them both. Oh, really? Is that how it was? Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, that's, get that's that. totally how it was. I didn't get yeah, that yeah. at all. I thought he just ran in there. Yeah, what's the what's the what's the cinematic again? It's very clear. Hmm. Um, and then um, he dies, and his spirit comes out of his body, mm-hmm. and as he gets ready to embrace his sister. Uh, Monokuma comes up, and the only thing I can guess, he's throwing salt on his spirit. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah. wearing a traditional, traditional like uh, like a gown that's kind of used by like Shinto priests or something like that that are used to like exercise evil spirits, right? And then there, he's sprinkling salt on the spirit of Kyo, and then he's like melting, and then his dead sister spirit joins in on the fun and starts sprinkling salt on him, and he yeah. just melts away into nothingness. So not only did he kill him, he killed his spirit too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was he certainly was a detestable murderer. So you know, serial killer even, right? So yeah. I suppose he des- he got what he deserved. But I suppose in his own delusional way, he was doing. He thought he was doing something good. Um, that's the that's the thing that I always think about, right? Let's say, for example, that you one hundred percent believe that you feel and you feel that when you kill someone. You're sending them to a better place? Are you really evil by your own standards? Like, if you believe that to heart, like 100%, without a hint of hint of uh, hesitation or doubt, whoever you kill goes to heaven, they live happily, and they become friends with your with your sister. If that's, your, what, you, that's what you believe, you're not doing anything wrong, are you? No, maybe Jeffrey Dahmer was just hungry. Maybe, but that's what I mean. That's that's a twisted nature of uh, of serial killers and things of this nature. When psychotic people truly believe what they do in their own mind, they justify it in that way, uh, whether it's true or not. And uh, that's what I thought interesting about Keo because he it's like oh it's like oh man I just man he just felt disappointed that he wasn't able to send a hundred friends to her to his sister. Yeah, yeah. I was like eh, all right, Keo, peace yeah. out. We yeah. always we always knew this guy was weird. But uh, this was another level of weird for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after the execution, you know, we have some discussion about what we should do. And at the end, we, uh, you know, say our goodbyes and we're going our own ways. And then we're cut to uh, Kaito's perspective where he's having a bit of a cough. Mm-hmm. And then we notice that he's not just having any old cough. He's coughing up blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been having a rough blood. time. You know, yeah. is he sick? Is he just scared? You know, what's going on in this whole chapter, this whole past yeah. chapter? Yeah, we, this, we didn't mention, but Kaito's pretty much turned into our number two. Uh, well, he thinks he's number one. He thinks he's, he's number yeah. one, but he's he's our number two. Yeah, um, he, he certainly is. And he's he's turned out to be, like, as I mentioned in the first episode, he's he's become the good guy. Yeah. 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 I, I think I think we never had any doubts that he's always going to have our back and always do the right thing. He always wants to believe in his friends, especially people that he has uh, deemed uh, that he was going to be loyal to. He's very loyal to Shuichi. Uh, he's loyal to Maki as well. He really believes in her. Yep, she uh, joins the crew as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she kind of does because she feels a bit ostracized after being revealed that she's the ultimate assassin. But Kaito is the person to really reach out to her, not believing that she would actually kill anyone. Right. Well, not anyone without any kind of reason, right? So uh, because of that, he kind she kind of attaches herself to your crew of Shuichi and Kaito, and then three of you have kind of been working together, which was nice. I, I enjoyed that dynamic, especially like when they're like working out together and trying to like figure out what to do next. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was nice. But uh, yeah, Kaito's coughing up a lot of blood, and he's saying, you know, things like, "Man, I can't die here. You know, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't die without going into space first. This isn't, this isn't how I'm gonna die." What are you guys feeling? What's happening? I don't know. I think the genetic experiment is falling apart. <laughs> the 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 seabed experiment is falling apart, huh? It's not. Yep. It's not stable, man. The DNA. It's unstable. Yeah. It's unstable. What do you feel, Drew? You have no comment? I honestly don't know. He's dying. I don't know. Okay. He's just straight up dying. But at this point, fellas, we have um, only nine left alive. You know? it's uh, We've only gone through two chapters, but it feels like fast. a ton of things happen. Yeah, they, they're, they're dying. Especially when there's these double homicides in one chapter. Uh, it's three characters gone in one chapter. So things things are happening. So, um, well, why don't we go ahead and do the email? Do we have any emails first? Sure do. We have two of them. Uh, well, both, let's go ahead and do that. Both are from Jamie, and uh, each one is focusing on the, each trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one says, trial number two, meh, boring. Uh, rise and shine, or sign. Mm-hmm. I finished the second trial and surprisingly don't have much to say. My prediction was once again wrong, as it often is. Uh, I thought it was either uh, Kaito or Koichi. But it was a diff- but I was uh, kind of indifferent to it being Kirumi. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be because I'm sticking to my simulation theory. So she isn't really dead, anyways. Uh, there wasn't anything in particularly ridiculous in the Danganronpa mm-hmm. world uh, to do with it. All uh, kind of made sense. Usually, after gathering the evidence, I still have no idea how it happened. But this time, I knew that he was killed in the ultimate lab and brought to the Piranha Tank. The only thing I was missing was the culprit. Come on, Danganronpa, you have to go crazier than that. Uh, now to refine my theory, uh, not make a new one, just uh, get a little bit more detailed. Uh, I think that the motive videos are fake. My main reason is because Kirumi didn't remember until she saw it. Even mm-hmm. Monokuma said that they went uh, to the wrong people by accident. I think that mm. they are meant to plant memories and is a way to control the simulation. One okay. of the reasons, yeah, one of the reasons why I still think it's a simulation is the stars. Just after the trial, Gonta mentions uh, that he doesn't recognize the stars. Even Kaito says that there yep. were no rules about being outside at nighttime. I've been waiting for them to mention the stars. Everyone knows a few constellations, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think we now have some proof that someone is alive on the outside trying to help them. And that is the horse A message, which the horse mm. A message did fill in a little bit more. That it did after the the third trial as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that someone has created a bug in the system that allows the outside to communicate with the inside. I'm hoping that after this trial they return to that. Clearly the message isn't actually about a horse, uh, but, <laughs> I, but it was arranged in an odd manner. Probably some more letters will fill in soon. I still think someone is trying their best Try, trying to find their be, the best of the ultimates, maybe the ultimate of ultimates, as a replacement for Junko. Um, who knows? But uh, this is a test, or maybe even a game. I mean, those mm-hmm. artifacts they got were game-related, right? Maybe it's a big game. Not my theory, just a random thought. I just to fit it in, the people I think that will survive the test are Kokichi, because he's an ass. Uh, I want him to die, so he's probably going to last. Uh, Gonta, because he's too dumb to kill someone, although I admit mm-hmm. that he's gullible enough to walk into pretty much any trap. And Angie, because she's hilarious. 
Well, <laughs> hey, we have we have one Angel over here, so mm-hmm. that's new. Interesting. Uh, the people I hope will live because I will despair if they don't are Kaito, uh, Suichi, and Gonta. I have to yep. say that I have that I find this game easier than the last one. Not sure why. May, may, maybe because the games are uh, more refined. It just plays a bit smoother. I'm not getting annoyed with the mini games like I did before. <laughs> uh, I actually <laughs> look forward to some of them. I'm also doing the same as you guys and considering the ultimates in terms of how their trials could go. That's the main reason why that I was bothered by the Cox Cospox thing. Clearly, mm-hmm. there is a reason they wanted to keep the ultimate cosplayer in the game so much that they needed to make up a way to disallow her from dis- disguising herself as someone else. I guess that ultimate talent will be important at some point. Last thing, as someone who was really looking forward to a female protagonist and found that I really liked her mm-hmm. character, I can't mm-hmm. help but feel betrayed, not unlike how I did in Metal Gear Solid 2 with Raiden. <laughs> yes, we did mention that today. I like Suichi, but I am still a little pissed off. Just thought I'd get that off my chest. Well, look at that. I have lots to say after all. Let's see how wrong I am after the next trial. Yeah, I did want to comment on sort of the ease of it. I feel like the game's a bit more linear mm-hmm. than the other ones. You know, and- it's actually funny because it's the opposite. Because you have the way of backdooring certain... Uh, before, it was one bullet per one point. But now there are cases or situations where you're able to lie with a different piece of evidence. And yeah, I, I don't mean during the investigation. I mean ah, okay. everything leading up to the investigation. Mm, sure. Like the game more often tells you like, oh, we should check this and this out. And then as soon as you're done, they say, all right, now we should go do this. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that part, I think that's a quality of life upgrade for everybody, right? Nobody wants yeah. to the kind of aimlessly wander. Yeah, yeah, just like pixel hunt and you just like click on the same thing over and over again. That's just boring for everyone. So, yep. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, I think it did on the sort of the first two sections of each chapter. Yeah. It, it makes it a bit smoother, I think. Agree. So, the next email is for this one. Uh, it says Return of the Dumble Homicide. So, I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, last time <laughs> we played Danganronpa 2, I successfully predicted the double murder. That was based on the parallels between the murders of the first game and the second game. This time the murders were not the same, so I didn't expect this to happen. Also, I had said that the last murder was boring, so they needed to make it more complicated. They clearly did that. (laughs) I'm not sure that I buy the motive, but it was interesting to say the least. I've lost one of my predicted survive characters. Immediately Uh afterwards, yep. And I can't say that I'm sad about it. That cult shit was getting annoying. (laughs) Angie was nice and kind of adorable, but she got a bit too much power in in the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am disappointed that she didn't get to do the resurrection ceremony, though. I was hoping that uh, could help confirm my theory, especially if they had resurrected Rontaro. Speaking of which, I'm sticking to my theory. Who knew after three trials I'd have the same theory? I keep trying to figure out what the message in the courtyard is. This world is within someone's blank. Uh, this world is what, damn it. Anyway, uh, I think they are being tested, and I think there's supposed to be two in the end, likely one girl and one guy. And in the very beginning, I thought it was it would be about Kaede and Suichi since they paired them up so early. But the game put a damper in that right away. 
In regards to the trial, I actually had thought it was Kokichi and Kaito, which is exactly what I thought during the last trial. I think it's because I love Kaito and it stresses and stress out that they would totally make him a culprit just to piss me off. <laughs> and the opposite with Kokichi, I just want that guy to be guilty and die already. I <laughs> uh, love it. Me too. I haven't talked about the Monocubs yet, and that's because I have no clue what's going on there. I honestly have no idea what their purpose is. Looking forward to the moment the game makes sense and my theory is proven correct. It's because this game doesn't have quite enough murders in it, so why not add five more? Yeah. That's true. That's very true. Uh, yeah, I, I like where she, where her head's at. She's very positive, thinking that all her theories are going to come true eventually. Mm-hmm. I think that's very hopeful. <laughs> no, I, I was I was talking to her over Twitter, and they were talking about how you uh, your theory and hers were lining up so perfectly well together. Yeah. And then she was like, well, we're, we're different in some points, and then mine will be right and Drew will be wrong. Oh. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, sure. That, that's, that's so good. So speaking of theories, I mean, you know, well, first of all, let's do the easy stuff out of the way. So we had the questions from last week, uh, going after the first chapter. Three characters that we believe will survive to the end. Drew picked Shuichi Kibo and Kurumi, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to cross Kurumi off the list. Yep. That's, that's one down out of three. And Matt chose Sh- uh, Shuichi, Maki, and Ryoma. And yes, I'm afraid, <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to take to to, to that one out as well. So you guys both have Shuichi, and Drew has Kibo, and Matt has Maki left. Yep. So, you know, we have some, we have some strong survivors, you know, they're pulling through so far. Let's see if they can make it all the way. <laughs> and we have the most suspicious characters, and, um, Drew. You you picked Angie, and um, you also believe that Rantara will come back to life, both of which kind of could have happened maybe in Chapter 3, but neither of which happened. Yeah. Angie is dead now. Would you like to change your character? Now that your character is dead, you can uh, change your character of most suspicious and, uh, you know, most suspicious being who do you think the mastermind is. <sighs> so you're, you're free to change your answer. Angie is dead. I mean, you can still keep Angie. If you believe she will come back to life, mm-hmm. or you can pick someone else. Up to you. Yeah, the Necronomicon still exists, right? They just took it back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he did take it back. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who the Mastermind is. I don't know if the Mastermind's even in this game. So you can you can actually change your answer to no Mastermind, just like just like uh, Matt did here. So. Well, I didn't say no Mastermind. You did. You did. I have it written down right here, Matt. I, I can't lie. I said I said a mastermind that's not within the school. Game. Yeah, but that's what I meant. A mastermind among the students is, is the specific question. Um, I you know, I think I think yeah. I I don't I, I I would really fucking hate that they just brought some random guy in at the end and be like, ah, it was me. Who the fuck are you? So you're still on board with the mastermind being one of the students? I need a name. It could still be the same name. I don't care. It's just, you just need a name. Hmm. You gotta believe in it. So. Oh man! Do you think Gonta's faking? No. Could he be the mastermind? No. You don't think Kakichi is? It? No. no, no, no. I don't think he is. Too but, on the nose. Too evil. Yeah, too evil. Uh. I like how Matt is. You know. Kind of testing his own ideas through Drew. <laughs> That's very sneaky, Matt. I see what you're doing there, buddy. All right. 
Uh, I, I, you think Kibo's going to unlock his no uh, second uh, program, uh, his beta program? I, I'll go nuts. I'll go nuts and say Kaito. Kaito. So you say yes, mastermind among the students, and Kaito is it? And I don't necessarily think that the uh, mastermind of this game is the bad guy. Interesting yep. caveat. I would, okay. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, Matt, your answer from previous week was there is no mastermind amongst the students. Would you like to change right. that answer? Nope. I still think there is a mastermind. I think it's maybe one of the other students from the other game, and I think they're doing it for good re- good intentions. Mm, wow. That's that's pretty interesting. Okay, Matt sticking with his gun, unlike Drew. Uh, moving on. We have the big one here. We have the main theories. Mm-hmm. We have Matt's theory of the post-apocalyptic world. It's an experiment. It's a seabed of an oasis. And he he thinks that it is connected to the other two Danganronpa games in some way. Matt, would you like to change your answer? Uh, and I can't have two. Oh, you cannot have two. So I, I still think it's mostly right, but there's been so mm-hmm. much, so many hints about worlds. They sure have. And don't forget the aliens and the meteors. That you mentioned yeah, before. aliens and meteors. Something mm-hmm. about space because of Indeed. the astronaut, Gonta's view on the stars. Monokuma said something about in, on this world things are different. Mm-hmm. True. And then the note on the stone. So I still think it's some sort of genetic experiment. Okay. I still he, think it's a, this little tiny, tiny oasis in the midst of nothing. Okay. I just don't know if that nothing is post-apocalyptic Earth or elsewhere. So you're more or less sticking with what you got? Yeah, mostly the same, but potentially not on Earth. You got to choose, man. You can't. You can't just say like so. Not on Earth is your so answer, not on Earth. Same, okay. same idea, but still wayward pines, just not on Earth. Not on Earth. Okay. And you still obviously think about it being connected to Danganronpa since your theory with the mastermind, right? Yep. Okay. And Drew? So like trying to do something genetically and bring people back. If not specific people, then ultimates. Your theory was of a digital simulation, and they are creating ultimates for whatever nefarious purposes. And you also believe that it is connected to the other Danganronpa games. Mm-hmm. Any changes you'd like to make to this theory? Yes. Ooh, certainly. Um, certainly. I'm going to add some things. I don't know if this is nefarious. I don't think it is. Oh, not nefarious. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the reason why is because the the funeral stuff. I think that, <laughs> contrary to what I've said before, mm-hmm. I think that these people mm-hmm. who who there who is in this killing game have died. Oh yeah, we're bringing it back. <laughs> yeah, so I think that the funeral stuff is real, uh-huh. yep. and that all these people have died, and now they're uploading their memories and their personalities into random people to make them ultimates, so that they can do something good, maybe save the world or something like that. Something bad has happened, and there is a organization that is trying to bring ultimates back so that they can 
either stop the bad thing of happening or try to fix it. Why would they put themselves in such a terrifying situation if they were trying to, you know, use these people for some kind of good thing, though? Well, perhaps uh, they're they're at wit's end. Maybe the, maybe this is their last hurrah before the world ends, or something like that. Maybe it's um, maybe the all the ultimates died in during the ultimate hunt, and they're like, well, we'll just have to make them again. We need some volunteers. All right, I volunteer myself. Uh, all right, we're gonna install Kaede's memories into you. Now you are Kaede. Kind of thing. It's interesting because our theories are somewhat similar. I just don't think it's digital. Yeah. Yeah, that's despite a huge. The, despite uh, the fact that there's like VR looking flashbacks, I don't really know how that fits in. Yeah. That's um that's a big distinction though. I think it makes a clear case because uh it being not in a virtual reality world has implications. You know, like yeah. much much bigger implications. Uh, and the fact that uh, Drew is talking about basically like meteors. Yeah, and uh, and um, uploading the memories of dead ultimates is your theory right now, right? Yeah. Okay, we have it down. Well, good stuff. And do you still believe that it is connected to the previous Sonic Rumble games? I don't know that one. I, my my gut says yes, but this mm-hmm. I, this may very well be just like a whole new universe, and uh, you know. Monokuma is making references to previous games just because, hey, remember that game? Um, yeah. But just for us, you yeah, and me. Just, just for mm-hmm. the player. Um, your, your previous choice was yes, you have the option to change or stay the same. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go opposite of Matt since I always go opposite of Matt. I will say no, this is <laughs> not connected to the other games. Oh, big, big. Big change there. Yeah. Change. To me, those two things are tied together. The fact that the motives in the background are positive to me is because I think it's linked to the game. Right. Okay. I, I'm starting to understand uh, the train of thought you guys got kind of used to get here. And I will say, you're both valid. There's a lot of evidence to both of your points and the concepts that you have. So, you know, there comes, you know, a new, new week. We've gone through a lot more with these characters. There's only nine people left alive. So, beg some new questions, right? So, we know the three characters that you guys both pick that you know for sure will survive. Now, you must pick two that you believe will definitely die. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, Drew. Um, definitely die before. Definitely, Angel. definitely die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cosplay girl. Sumugi, okay. Yeah. And hmm. I think Kaito. Kaito, okay. Yeah. Yeah, probably not from the I'm coughing up blood thing, but I think somebody just kill him. Okay, so we have Sumugi and Kaito for two characters that will definitely die before the game's over. And uh, Matt, I need two names from your friend. Kimiko and Miyu. Miko and Mew. So, any particular reasonings for uh, these characters, guys? So, for me, it was process of elimination. Okay. I think that... uh, I think everyone... I think the cosplayer is too... Too boring. Mm -hmm. I think she's still going to evolve into her 
le- level B. And that's also what we thought about Kurumi as well at the beginning. And that didn't work yeah, and now that it didn't happen to her, I'm more sure it's going to happen with Kurumi. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. <laughs> I think nice. Ki- Ki- Kibo is a bit too unique in the in these robot. I think he's going to go at least for a little while longer. I don't know. I feel like okay. maybe maybe you convinced me, Drew. I don't actually think there's anything going on with him, but uh, I don't know. There could be something interesting there. Kaito is, is was on my short list. Uh, maybe he's going to die, but I like him, so I hope he doesn't. That's a that's I gotta say that's a very valid reason for for them not to be on your death list. I think I think that is that is good. Similar with Gonta, I don't. I don't think he necessarily has a B level, but he might. But he might, they might keep him around just because he's so gentle. I don't know. Plus, he's so strong, and he could always. He, he's a, he's an easy person to look at if there's ever any murder where, you know, something that was physically hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to say, oh, Ganta could do it at least. That's true. I mean, the thing thing about it is like whenever they ask him, Ganta, could you have done this? He always answers honestly. Like he doesn't even try to lie about anything ever. Which I yep. think is very endearing in this game about you know lies and deception. Yep, and Maki and Shuichi are, are already on my survive list. Yeah, that's so. true. I was actually trying to catch one of you guys putting them both on your death and survive list. Yeah, <laughs> kind of trying to uh, test your memory a little bit. Yeah, but, I was. Uh, I was thinking. Could. I was thinking like Kibo was probably going to be dead. <laughs> like I, I honestly think I mean I like truth. Hey, you can, you can you can double dip. You can't change. The three characters you're going to survive, but you can double dip and try to double down, uh, kind of admitting that you are 100% wrong or you, you, you yeah. believe yourself to be 100% wrong. Yeah. Uh, they're not set in stone. You can change it right now. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. Okay. Um, so the other question that kind of has brought up and, uh, you know, Jamie has uh, pointed out, what do those words mean? Yep. Horse A and the one that was revealed after this world, right? Something like that. That that was revealed after chapter three. So more letters are becoming added. Yeah, which world? Yeah. So it comes down to what is the meaning of this hidden what is the meaning of the hidden words? Uh just some just some quick theories. What do you guys think it means? Like what it, what do you think it's gonna be ultimately? I mean I think it's gonna be this world's not real or something like that. Okay, so Drew's this world is not real. So okay, this is good. Uh, let's just complete the sentence. What do you think it's going to be, Matt? Uh, I don't remember exactly where it left off. So what do we know? It says. Uh, it basically says like this world. Yeah, I don't know. It's not Kansas anymore. It's not the world you're used to. So I, not to say it's not real, but yeah. th- this is sort of part of my it's not Earth theory. So you got you got to complete the sentence, man. You got to complete the sentence. This world, and then finish the sentence. What do you think uh, it's going to be? It's not Earth. Okay. This world is not Earth. Yeah. So basically, the same thing in different wording. Yeah. This world is not Earth. Okay. So we have those down. And the fun thing about this is that every chapter you're going to be getting basically more letters if the pattern proves you know uh, true. So we're going to be able to see what what happens. And that basically wraps it up for uh, chapter two and three. That's um, yeah, a lot of things happened, man. A lot of revelations, a lot of people being killed off, and uh, already we've lost two characters. Well, one of each character uh, from their their list of characters that they want to survive. So next week we have the excellent uh, provision of seeing if the characters that will definitely die will die, 
or is seeing if the characters that we definitely want to survive will survive. Yep. And uh, I like the change in uh, focus of the whole, like, uh, the theories. You guys have more or less the same theory, but you added something on top of it to even make it even more convoluted, which I love. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's going to be great. And the thing about it is that next week, we're going to be covering chapter four and five. And the week after that, it'll be the final chapter. And unfortunately, after chapter four and five, it's the last time you're gonna, you guys are ever gonna be able to change your theory because it's all gonna be revealed on chapter six, yeah, right? right? Final chapter. So I want you guys to think about it as you're playing through the next two chapters. Like, really think about your theories. See if they work with all the information that they're giving to you, whether you want to change them or not. Because I think that's gonna be the big point of discussion at the end of all of this. Uh, and uh, yeah, tons of uh, tons of more revelations and adventures to be had uh, in the in the next two chapters. Um, I'm excited to hear your thoughts about them and trying to wrap uh, try to wrap up what we got going here. Because uh, oh man, so many notes, yeah, so <laughs> many notes. God, <laughs> but yeah, but that's uh, that'll be it for us. Um, thank you all for listening. If you'd like to send an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, you can also tweet to us. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS and Jay is at Batuside J. The podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Post all the new episodes up there. Um, yeah. Wild ride so far. So I don't know. It's full of mystery. We'll figure it out though. But, uh, yeah, that's it for us. I appreciate everybody out there. If you are playing through this, please send an email. I know surely Jamie's not the only person playing through this game. So if you you should be because that's what you do with the game, and playing this way is really is the best way to it, get through. It is. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more fun having these discussions and then adding into it, you know your own theories. Absolutely, uh, it's fine. Yeah, but that's it for us. We are out of here. Until next time, I am Drew, and I'm Matt. I'm Jay. And we're gone. We'll be back next week with the continuation of Dongan Rock of V3 Killing Harmony.